And we are live here on 12 Ounce Sports. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And where did that voice crack come from? Hello? Anybody hear that? Hi, everybody. Tyler Kuehl here. We have us a wonderful show for you today on this 12 Ounce Sports on this Monday, December the 14th. Because we got a lot to get to today, guys. Not just you're going to hear from me, as always, because... I know y'all love hearing my voice when it doesn't squeak at the top of its lungs, but we got also a couple more people showing up this week. We, of course, we had Cody Jansen last week, which was so much fun, which you can check out on the Kewl Show's YouTube channel and podcatcher. And you notice I'm wearing a very baggy looking shirt today. If you are watching us here on 12 Ounce Sports, which by the way, if you're watching us on 12 Ounce Sports, you are watching us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or possibly even Zingo TV. If you want to sign up on Zingo TV, if you want to know what that is, it's a nice little thing. You get on your Roku stick or your Amazon Fire stick. You go on there, you plug it in, and you can watch the 12-ounce sports shows like World Hockey Report. You can talk about Pete's Power Plays, all the great shows that there are, and the Kula Show on a big screen. And you go on there, you sign up using the fr- promo code 12-ounce. That's 1-2-O-Z or Z. Go on there and watch us on the big screen on Zingo TV. Of course, we also must thank our, our sponsors for today's episode. We have down in that corner over there, mybookie.ag. Make sure you go on there because the NFL season's wrapping up soon, guys, but there's still plenty of money to win here. And also the fact that the NBA starts up here soon. Preseason's going on right now. Go on there, sign up using the promo code 12-ounce sports, sign up for free, win and get paid on mybookie.ag. Also, be sure to check out Second String Leather Company up there in that corner. Get it in there. It's on my laptop as well. It's everywhere, everywhere, like swimwear. Second String Leather Company. Collection 7 is out there right now, and they have all sorts of deals out there right now, guys, for their holidays, because guess what? You want to get something for that special someone, right? You want someone that you care about, someone that you love so much. Why not get them something cool like a handcrafted waffle board wallet or something from their Collection 7? Maybe a bathroom bag so, you know, they don't leave their stuff all over the counter. Maybe a nice little travel bag. Maybe a coaster so they stop staining your coffee table. Go to Second String Leather Company, secondstringleathercompany.com, at Second String Leather on Facebook and Instagram, Second String LC on Twitter. Be sure to go on there and check out all of their awesome stuff because they have a bunch of awesome stuff. On today's program, oh, my goodness. You know what? I almost forgot, guys, and I forgot it last week, too. And I'm incredibly ashamed of myself just because of typically of how good I am with remembering these sort of things. We have our own merchandise. <laughs> Check that out. You see us wear it all the time here on the show. Check it out. Teespring.com slash store slash the dash cool dash show. That's the address. Of course, if you're watching us or listening to us, just go in the description of our, if you're on our YouTube channel, that is, go on there where it says merch. Click that link. Get your awesome swag, courtesy of your good friends here at the Kiel Show and Teespring. The Kiel Show, right here. That's this little thing right here, the TKS up over there. When you're also talking about today's show, use the hashtag TKS. And, you know, if you're liking what you see right now, give us a follow. You know, go on your Twitter and then at the Kiel Show, hit follow. Go to your Instagram, at the Kiel Show on Instagram, hit follow. Facebook, like us. I think that's how you do it still. I don't know. I remember when Facebook was, you become a fan of it. I remember that because I was one of those cool kids back in the day. Back, that's how long ago it was. When it was like 2000, what, 2010, 2011, man? Remember how long ago that was? 
We're going to be talking to a guy that likes to look back at the early 2010s and the late 2000s as well, because I'm wearing my awesome second string, not second string, I'm wearing my awesome London Knight shirt today, 2005 Memorial Cup champions, because we are going to have later on in the show at the bottom of the hour, Mike Stubbs, the longtime voice of the London Knights, will be stopping by. We'll be talking about the couple London Knights that are going to be in the World Junior Championships coming up here, which the Alberta Health officials gave the official okay on, which is a good thing, even though a bunch of the European teams that were flying over from Edmonton had like a kind of a kerfuffle, almost a kerfuffle at the airport overseas. I don't remember how it all went down. It was kind of weird looking. But we'll be talking about those couple players that'll be on there, talking about how, you know, he became with the London Knights and his experience, his favorite moments. Obviously, the 05 and the 2016 World Cups were huge. We'll talk about some of the great players he called. Look, take a trip down memory lane with the one and only Mike Stubbs. Also, guest number two on the show is a good friend of mine, a guy that I've known for geez, almost a decade now, Marcus Kinney, who is currently the Grand Rapids Griffins, the AHL affiliate of the Detroit Red Wings, their strength and conditioning coordinator. Well, you know, we always talk about, you know, the X's and O's and how teams play and contracts and all that mumbo jumbo. How about how these guys actually need to get in shape? Marcus will be the guy that we'll talk to you about that. And, you know, if you ever want to have any questions for our guests or myself, if you ever want to ask me anything, which, you know, would be, a, would be interesting, but I don't know if that'd be a good idea because I may actually answer it. You make sure you jump in the chat, whether you're on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube TV. Zingo TV, I don't know how to check that out yet. So uh, if you're on Zingo, you know, just, you know, go on the Facebook feed or the YouTube channel and just, you know, just throw it in the chat there. Let me know what you're thinking. And, uh, you know, if I sound bad, awesome. If I sound great, even better. You know, exactly how it works. Yes, I know what I just said there. I double whammy myself. It's fine. But we got so much to get to today. Ugh, I'm already out of breath. I'm about like a... Like an hour, what, seven minutes into the show, I'm already out of gas. This is kind of how I felt after doing color commentary. I was actually able to do, on Saturday, my first broadcast, well, part of a broadcast. I was doing the Ferris State hockey game against Bowling Green last Saturday with Harrison Watt up there in Big Rapids. And it had been the first time, guys, since my birthday, February 22nd, a week before I got married to Kelly, who I believe already left the house already because she works tonight, which is great because... You know, she doesn't have to hear me yell. But before that, it was the last time that I actually broadcasted a game. That I actually been inside a rink in an arena since then. I'll tell you, I miss it. Guys, let me tell you, let's put it this way. There have been children that have been born since the last time I've been in an ice rink. That's how long it's been. So it was kind of more of a relieving feeling to get be part of a broadcast and talk hockey with Harrison. We always talk great stuff here when he comes on the Kilo Show. But it's different when we do it a, I mean, we do it live here too, but we do it live in action because that's like his domain. I have to abide by his rules, which makes it a little bit interesting. And if you guys follow me on Instagram at TJKU29, you can see actually the video, of, or also on Twitter as well, you actually would see the video of how we were set up. There was like a wall dividing us. Like we weren't even looking at each other. It's, it was kind of unique, kind of funny, but uh, it worked out in the end. So first topic of business today because also of course we got the college hockey scoreboard coming up later on a couple other things but we're going to talk a little bit about the nhl today even though the two guests we have on have not well not nothing to do with it i mean you know mike stubbs is the ohl and the ohl is one of the big developers for talent that goes to the nhl and marcus kinney helps train american hockey leaguers so they hope to get to the nhl so i guess it has something to do with them but let's talk about the current events of the national hockey league first the big one actually there's two Biggish ones. One of the big ones, though, is the proposed realignment for the National Hockey League. Now, we talked about it before. 
the possible coming of a Canadian division, which seemingly so is going to actually happen, which is I, which I'm all for, right? I'm, I want to see the seven teams in Canada. I mean, this is one thing because of the fact that teams can't travel right now. You can't cross the border freely, even though, yes, today is, I mean, well, today will be going down as history as the COVID vaccine day. And for those that don't really follow the news that much, the big Pfizer vaccine is getting produced and shipped out of Pfizer's plant down in Portage, which is near Kalamazoo, about an hour south of where we are here for the Kula show. So it's kind of a big deal. But, I mean, obviously that's a good sign that there's something. But it does it's not going to change the fact that by the time the NHL season wants to start, the border is probably going to be closed or very limited in travel, and there's going to be a lot of regulations. So you're going to have an all-Canadian division. Now, while nothing's been set in stone yet, there's been talk and a pretty good feeling for everyone that it's going to be an all-Canadian division. Now, how the Central and Western are going to work, we're going to get to that in a second, that's still a little bit hazy. The Eastern, Com- the Eastern Division, excuse me, seems pretty well set in stone. So let's go with the Canadian division. You have Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver. And, and unfortunately, you know, it's funny, we talked to Cody Jansen last week. It would have been great to get his point on this. The fact of having a Canadian, an all-Canadian division, which means you go coast-to-coast, because there's a lot of people in St. Louis that are complaining right now. Like I said, we'll get to that. But they have nothing on the fact that Vancouver and Montreal will, if they play a 52-game schedule, play at least, what is that, if, what, six times at least? And that'd be three and three, of course, three in Vancouver, three in Montreal or Ottawa or Toronto, the Eastern Seaboard. I just, I chuckle at it because everyone complains about, oh my goodness. And this is, this could be entirely East Coast bias to our Western listeners and viewers. I am okay with, I mean, I I don't think they have the right to complain about a four o'clock start if you're a Vancouver fan or if you're now out in Alberta in mountain time and complain about a five o'clock start. I'm sorry. Some of us have to work in the morning. So if the Leafs or, you know, Ottawa, if you're an Ottawa fan or a Montreal fan, you guys have to go out to Vancouver and a 10 o'clock puck drop. Uh, I'm sorry. That's, uh, that's, that is rough. I cannot do that every single time. That's why I'm glad whenever the Leafs do their West coast trips or Northwest Canada trip, they either, they play, there are two games in Alberta, which are around 9 o'clock puck drops because they're mountain time. And then the Vancouver game, or whatever the Saturday game is, is played 7 o'clock Eastern time, so either 4 or 5 o'clock local time out west. The loss, the California trip always sucks because they don't give a rat's behind about Canadian viewership. They're like, we're playing at 7 and 7.30. That's how it always is. Last year was perfect, though, when they went on, the Leafs went on their trip, their California trip, because that was when I was on my honeymoon, so I was up. Still the wee hours in the morning, just about every night. So it worked out as I got to watch the Leafs get a single point on that side trip. But I, I digress. You know, it was a rough one. And maybe they did need the COVID to kind of take a break because that season was going down the toilet, as we saw in the playoffs against Columbus. But, I mean, this, the hours, whatever, that's going to happen. And then right now, guys, I'll be honest with you. Yes, the two best teams on paper maybe Edmonton and Toronto. Everyone's like, oh, Toronto will do great in an all-Canadian division. Look how they've done against them in the past. And True, but look at it this way. Calgary is going to be really interesting. They have Jacob Markstrom, who 
Is he still a starting goaltender? Is or can he be the same Markstrom as last year? I don't know, but he's still a really good goaltender. You have just a you just seem like you have Tanev. You seem like you have a much more confident Calgary team. Kachuk will be back healthy. Johnny Goudreau will be in regular season Goudreau form, so that'll be good for the Flames fans. You don't have to worry about him until the playoffs. You can, you know, scratch him if you want, if you're smart. If you're Jeff Ward and Brad Living, that's what you do. But you have the opportunity then to really make some make because Calgary seems to always play the Leafs tough. Calgary and Edmonton six times. Each. Oh, my goodness. It'll be the olden days. Fights every night. Winnipeg will be a struggle. Ottawa's, and I said this before when Ottawa made all those deals in the offseason, they're going to be a lot more competitive. I don't see them losing six games to any of these teams. I think they'll play hard against Montreal. Montreal, who's supposed to look better as well. They seem like they can make a run at something. You have Winnipeg, who has Hellebuck, who has the Vesna Trophy winner. And that's it. Hellebuck will win you some games, but I don't know where if I don't. I wouldn't pick Winnipeg to be my top four as of right now. Obviously, between now and the beginning of the season, whenever it does start, it'll be interesting. Because as of right now, players are starting to report into their respective cities so they can, you know, quarantine, isolate themselves, make sure they're, you know, test negative for the coronavirus so they can begin training camp. Because all signs are pointing towards the season starting next month. Now, whether it be the 13th, whether it be the 15th, whether it be the 30th, whatever, the season is right around the corner. So I think we'll, we'll make those predictions when we get an official date. That's when hopefully we'll have Alex here to really dive in and pick who is going to come out of each of these divisions on top. And, of course, our good friends at Kewl Quest and my dad. So my dad and my stepmom, Colleen. Hi, Colleen. Uh, to remind myself to ask Mike Stubbs about Colleen because Colleen and Mike actually have crossed paths before. So where I look at now, let's go to the east. Well, like I said, we'll go east to west. The sun rises in the east, sets in the west, guys. Come on. Don't you, you guys know the saying? Boston. So the east will be Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, New York, both New York teams, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Washington. So this one points all towards Boston. And I'm Boston and Washington. And Washington doesn't even seem that tough. And I've said this, guys. The only reason why Washington keeps winning the Metropolitan Division is because Carolina just doesn't seem like they can put in enough together against teams like Washington in the regular season, against Washington, against the Islanders. They just seem to somehow kind of falter in that, and they fall to second or third in their division. Washington, and while everyone in the Metro seems to make the playoffs nowadays, it's gotten weaker and weaker as the years have gone on. And I don't think Washington's gotten any stronger. Listen, guys, Henrik Lundqvist is their starting goaltender. Sam Sonov seems to be their number two, or maybe their 1B in this scenario. So Washington may not win, the divi- win that division, guys. And with Boston, you lost Tory Krug. And that's about it. Chara, I mean, Chara still remains unsigned. He may play. Now with it being a shortened season, he may be more okay with that because he kind of spaced himself out a little bit. He doesn't have to play as many games, not as many minutes. I don't know how you don't pick Boston. The Islanders will be good. Rangers will be better. Flyers, maybe the Flyers are be a team that are in the top two, maybe top three because of how they played last year, how they finished the year last year. They could have easily had the season gone 82 games last year, guys. There was an opportunity for the Flyers to win the division. Carter Hart was looking good. I mean, you had guys like Jakub Borachek and Travis Konechny. Like, the up and down that lineup, that team was really, really good. And it's a shame they ran, they just couldn't make it out of that second round. They ran to a good Islanders team. I thought they were going to play a little bit better. But 
or yeah, keep your eye on Philadelphia for this one. Pittsburgh, however the playoffs work, I mean, if they have to make the top four, maybe. I mean, I just don't know if the Rangers and Jersey, I don't, New Jersey's not ready to make any, many, any progress yet. Buffalo, you would think, with Taylor Hall and Evander Kane, not Evander Kane, excuse me, Eric Stahl, Evander Kane, San Jose. I think Buffalo will be better, but I, if you're only going to allow four from each division, it's going to be tough. To I believe to jump unless Pittsburgh's gonna take a dive this year. If Tristan Jari doesn't play like the goaltender they expect him to be there in Pittsburgh, if Jim Rutherford made a bad call there getting rid of Murray or allowing Murray to go, then yeah, then maybe Buffalo jumps Pittsburgh. And for the first time in his or second time in his career, excuse me, the Penguins missed the playoffs in Sidney Crosby's time. Let's move on over to the I guess what's considered the Central Division: Carolina, Chicago. Columbus, Detroit, Florida, Minnesota, Nashville, Tampa Bay. And I forgot who tweeted out. Someone said, oh, who's ready to see, what was it, um, Tampa go 50, what was it, 46 and 6 or something like that, something ridiculous because of their their weak division. Maybe it's 56 games this year. I keep getting mixed up. Whatever, 50 and 6. People are picking Tampa to wreck that division. And, yes, I, I concur. You have Detroit who will be more competitive, but when you're playing teams like, I mean, Minnesota and Nashville and Columbus is still going to be a competitive hockey team, a defensive-minded team with John Tortorella behind the bench, but how do you pick Tampa to not demoralize the Nashville Predators? And I'm sorry, Peyton Turnage, and I'm sorry, Pete Weber, friend of the show, Pete Weber, the voice of the Predators. How do you expect that matchup to be in favor of Nashville? How do you expect the matchup between Chicago and Tampa be in favor of the Hawks because their goaltending situation right now is a big question mark. I Yes, I know Malcolm Subban had the prospect of being a starting goaltender at one point, but he hasn't shown it at all in his time in the National Hockey League. Dating back to his days in Boston, excommunicated from Vegas. Remember, he was in the trade that actually sent Robin Leonard to Vegas, by the way, which created the whole Alan Walsh debacle, but we've already gone over that on this program. I'm interested to see how many games Tampa loses simply because of the fact of how just how much they have the odds stacked in their favor. Now, I granted, yes, they are on the East, and so is Florida, but you had to make sure. I mean, it's turned into slightly the Northeast division with that Eastern division because you can only put so many. I don't, you don't, you don't want to split up the Pennsylvania teams because Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia fans, they already have that problem with the National League East and the National League Central between the Pirates and the Phillies. But you want that rivalry to be there because if Pittsburgh's not good, at least they'll fight Philadelphia every so often, right? So at least there'll be that to go on. Shoot, look at Calgary and Edmonton. Now, those two teams have been in separate conf- or divisions for a few years there. Those games would never have mattered. At least I'm like, hey, they play each other four times a year. I can go for a 100-penalty-minute game between two sub-500 teams. Let's do this. At least that was the entertaining part. So Tampa's really, really looking good in that division. And then you have the West, which is where we're going to get into a little bit of a hot debate here. Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Vegas, excuse me, San Jose, and St. Louis. Now, here's the problem with St. Louis. Everyone's complaining and everyone's up in arms because technically Minnesota is further west. No, Minnesota is further. Yes, Minnesota is further west than St. Louis. I was making sure I had my words right there. How do you not? Be a little mad if you're St. Louis. Because, of course, Laura Astorian, who I follow on Twitter as well, she's a two-time member of the two-time guest of the Kula Show here. 
She's obviously mad because, oh, great, half my ga- half the games she won't be able to watch because of the 10 o'clock, 9.30 starts and what have you. And I get it. Like I, like I said, you know, I don't like when the Leafs go out west or any West Coast games for that matter. Can't watch the nightcap on Hockey Night in Canada because I am old. Yeah, well, I'm, pardon me, I'm not old. I'm getting older. The other night, shoot, it was about 9.30. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, I better go to bed soon or else I'm going to fall asleep on the couch. But that's neither here nor there. But I almost wonder, could you imagine? I mean, look at this division now. Dallas will still be good. They're not, I don't, I mean, of course, then again, last year, I didn't think they were going to make the Stanley Cup Finals either. But I don't believe they're going to be as good either. I feel like Hudobin's not going to be up to snuff. I feel like Bishop, his career's on the downturn. And yes, you have Ben and Sagan and Radulov, but those guys are getting older, believe it or not. I mean, don't, I mean, shoot, Sagan's now been in the league, but for what, 10 years now? And the California teams pose no threat to me whatsoever. San Jose may be the best team in that, in that state. I don't know if the Ducks are going to be any good. Yeah, you have John Gibson. Okay. Winnipeg has Connor Hellebuck. At least Winnipeg has a couple of scorers. Not Ryan Getzlaff and, what, Ricard Raquel. That's really all the Ducks have. Los Angeles, Jonathan Quick. I mean, my goodness, that guy's a, he's just, he's not even a fart. He's a toot. He's a toot that's not even, I just, I, he's not up to snuff anymore, guys. Jonathan Quick is no longer a number one goaltender in this hockey league. I'm, I apologize to all my West Coast fans out there. John Hoven, Mayor's Manor, we've had him on before. I'm sorry. Los Angeles ain't good enough. So, St. Louis is in a good spot because at least you have a really good chance of finishing third or fourth. Because, yes, you do have Colorado, and, yes, you have Vegas, who odds are going to be the top two teams. Unless, for some reason, Fransos has a problem and Grubauer has a problem, and then you're looking for your third-string goaltender, who's not Michael Hutchinson anymore. Remember, he's signed with the Leafs. So I don't know what you're going to do if you lose those two goaltenders. But if they stay healthy, a McKinnon, Landeskog, Kadri. Yeah, you lose Zadorov, but you still get Devin Taves back there to kind of fill that hole in the defensive role. He's a very good defensive-minded defenseman. How do you not like Colorado? How do you not like Vegas, even though literally they're going to have to get rid of three or four of their players? They'll still be a good team. They'll have two excellent goal, two number one goaltenders in their system. I really like where they're at. I like where Vegas is at. And St. Louis, I mean, I get it, the whole West Coast game and having to stay up late to watch your team, but... Would you rather stay up late and watch your team and lose some sleep or play Tampa seven times this year? Tell me. I mean, I, I am I wrong here, guys? I would rather play the California teams. Arizona's going to be good. Kemper's going to be good. They may be scrappy, but, you know, it, that division may be interesting, may be tough to get through, but if St. Louis is able to have a good hockey club, and not flame out like they did last year, if Bennington can return to form, I like where St. Louis is at. Would St. Louis win more games in the Central? I don't know, but then again, when you're playing Detroit, Chicago, Minnesota, Nashville, yeah, you have a better chance to win, but then again, you play the Cal- the three California teams. I, I think St. Louis may be in a better spot than the out West guys. I, now, I want you St. Louis fans to come out and tell me. Let me know what you guys think. But I, I don't see why people are mad 
of a better division and of a possibly easier division. Now, yes, what if Arizona turns it on? What if all of a sudden Ekman Larson puts up a 45-point season, Connor Garland tears up the league? Then, yes, St. Louis would be in a little bit of trouble. But until then, I don't know. I could not tell you what the problem would be with St. Louis. Like I said, I can't. I don't feel for St. Louis fans because the Leafs are going to play out west, you know, seven, eight times this season. So now, granted, yes, there is a lot of talk. I'm like, oh, my goodness, they're going to have every Leaf game be at 7 o'clock local time out in Toronto, whether it be in Vancouver, whether it be in Winnipeg, whether it be in Toronto, it's going to all be 7 o'clock. If that happens, uh, okay, then I can see the argument here. But I'll tell you right now. I mean, how cool would that be? Imagine if you're if you live in British Columbia. A, you live close enough to Whistler Creek to go up there during the wintertime. Secondly, you get out of work around 3 o'clock, okay, whatever, and it's Saturday night, like, hey, I've got nothing going on this Saturday night, guys. Hey, you guys want to come over, have a little early dinner, watch the first game of Hockey Night in Canada, and watch the second game on Hockey Night in Canada? How nice would that be? Instead of, all right, guys, it's five hours till the Leafs play. They got Montreal tonight, and then what's the nightcap? Vancouver and Vancouver and Los Angeles. What time? 10, 10 o'clock. Okay. Okay, that may be a tough one, guys. Let's, uh, let's, uh, We'll watch the Leafs game, and, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes for game two. I think if you're out west, it, you're in a better spot. A, the air is drier. You don't have to. I mean, yes, I know the forest fire is a little bad, but you don't have to worry about wet snow. You don't have to worry about moist. You don't have to worry about gosh darn humidity. And you get early start times for games. Oh, guys, I can't hang out tonight. Games, I'm sorry. Gets you out of stuff. You don't have to just say that to people. You know, be like, oh, man, I I can't hang out because, you know, I, I got, you know, paperwork or whatever. You can just say, nope, game's on, guys. Can't do anything for you. I, I like to think that's, that's a good way to look at it. Maybe that's me being the naive optimist. Maybe people out in British Columbia just don't like watching hockey during the daylight. I don't know. I mean, here it's 4 o'clock and it's dark already, so maybe it's different nowadays. But regardless, so those are the proposed realignment. Now, yes, there's still discussions going on right now. There may be changes before the official schedule gets put out, obviously, like we talked about, there are schedules being thrown out right now or being put together, multiple schedules, based on if St. Louis stays in the West, if St. Louis gets moved to the Central, Minnesota gets moved to the West, or someone else gets moved to the West. Something will happen, but people are working, which is good. From what we've heard for the longest time, there was no one working. Everything was kind of just being blah. But, folks, we got to take a quick break here because we have our guests waiting on the line. We'll get to them here when we come back. More of the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. And welcome back to the Kuehl Show, everyone, here on 12 Ounce Sports. Tyler Kuehl here riding solo this week. Now with our guest, our first guest of today's show. This one's a kind of a cool one for me because, A, hello, I'm repping the London Knights here. And, you know, I have some family from around the area, London, St. Thomas area. I've been to Canada multiple times. And one of my favorite teams in the OHL. Maybe it is my favorite because I do cheer for them pretty much for the most part whenever I watch the OHL because they've had so many great players over the years. And, yes, that does sound kind of like a biased thing because, oh, they're so good. But they weren't always good. We'll kind of get into that a little bit more as we now introduce our guest. He is the longtime voice of the London Knights. He is none other than the man, the myth, the legend. He is Mike Stubbs. Mike, how you doing, sir? Mike, this is this is kind of cool for me because 
I mean, you and I, well, of course, I would say this. You and I are actually kind of, we have a couple similarities. One, we're both play-by-play broadcasters, so we both have that. And we're both in talk radio. I'm over here in Grand Rapids on Wood Radio. You yourself on 980 AM out there in London. I mean, I mean, typically I've been asking people during this pandemic, you know, what have you guys been doing over this time? You guys, we must be pretty bored with everything. You yourself, you and I, we've both been working. Yeah, you know what? I've been on a downstairs couch since March and... It was strange at first. I don't know how you're feeling doing it out of remote locations, but doing three hours of talk radio out of your own house, uh, it took a little getting used to because it doesn't feel real at first. But it's definitely real, and it's been happening for a long time. But it's it's been great, actually. It really has been great, and it's been a way to stay connected with everybody and kind of stay on top of things. I don't know how you're feeling about it. Are, are you doing it from a downstairs couch too? We So I actually got hired at the perfect time. For a while, I, I was hired back in September and I applied back in August and it was right as they were allowing anchors to come back into the studio because we have a big morning show out here in Grand Rapids. And I just remember like, like, cause I mean, I do this, this is in my office, in my apartment, so it's not too much of a difference. And I'm sure you've done, or a lot of other people in the media have had to do during COVID and whatnot. But it, it was weird at first. Cause there was a brief time, like, Hey, we may go back when things kind of got a little bit, you know, worse back here in Michigan. And I know in Ontario, they had a second spike there as well. There was like talking like, Hey, we may have to go back into our office. And like, you know, it's one thing when you're working in a newsroom, I guess the only thing Mike, and I guess you can attest this too. You wouldn't have people calling you and telling that you're doing a bad job. Am I right? <laughs> well, I mean, emails and, and tweets and who knows, every, everything kind of works the same way in that way. But uh, but no, it's it's been interesting. Yeah, it certainly has been indeed. And Mike, I mean, because of course you do that. You, I mean, you do so much other stuff around there. You're not just a play-by-play voice because the, the voices that we've had on here, and they always do kind of, they always have very different upbringings into this business and we'll get in a little bit more of your London Knights career but how did you get into play-by-play broadcasting going out coming up in Ontario well Tyler you're exactly right and anybody who asks about this and I do some teaching at a local community college Fanshawe College in London great and great school you're asked a lot how do I do it how do how do I become a play-by-play broadcaster and Tyler you just said it there's no one way Everybody's got an individual path and there's no right way. There's no wrong way. There's just your way. And so that's certainly something that I guess I followed. Um, I always go back to when I was five years old. I got a poster of an OPG hockey card set where they weren't cut out. And I couldn't wait to get it home. Got it for Christmas. We drove home through a snowstorm. Couldn't wait to get home. Didn't know why. I was five. And I just wanted to cut it out and cut all the players so that I could make hockey games and call them. And that's that's kind of where I honestly got my start in all of this, was calling my own little hockey card games when I was really little. And then you graduate to the VCR, and you call it into a tape recorder. And from there, you graduate to being able to do some Junior A and Junior B and whatever your local cable station happens to cover. And I went to Western, was fortunate enough to do a lot of Mustang games and football and basketball and hockey and even a little baseball. They didn't really have a baseball team then, but for whatever reason, baseball games would come up every once in a while. And from there, just have been lucky. That's that's kind of what you need, luck and timing all the way through. And I've been pretty blessed with both. 
You know, it's funny because my dad is watching this right now, and he you talk about calling games, and I didn't have, unfortunately, I was past the Opeachy time. I got more into the upper deck card time, and I would have my cards laid out. Every, like, even, like, and not, like, classic Phil Esposito, but, like, Phil Esposito cards. So I have, like, the Boston Bruins on one side, and they would, for some reason, taking on the Grand Rapids Griffins, the old IHL. Like, Dan Cole, Bruce Ramsey, Ian Gordon, like, just the... The Griffins All Stars versus an NHL team, but I mean that's how that's how kind of how everyone gets that start, and that's how they get that niche, and that led to your time with the London Knights. Now, the the best part I don't say the best part, but the worst part of how your story, Mike, is your first year with the London Knights, and any broadcaster can attest to you know calling games for a team that yeah they may struggle and they may not have the best record. Mike, your first year in the Ontario Hockey League for the London Knights, who at that time, who had probably one of the weirdest looking logos, at least in the team's history, with the Spider Knight, or I call it the Mighty Knights because they look like the Mighty Ducks, no, uh, Mighty Ducks colors. They had the worst year in the history, I want to say hockey in general, but I'm pretty sure there was a team like lower level junior that went 0 for one year, but they went 3-60-3. and Mike, the, the Detroit Lions in 08 had a better chance of winning than the London Knights on any single night. I mean, tell us about how, you know, you go into the junior ranks, big time London, and that team happened. Yeah, I mean, that was, it was an exciting year because it was a year where you just never knew what was going to happen. There were always stories. It wasn't winning 5-4 in overtime. It wasn't somebody scoring five goals in a game. But there was always something happening. And, Tyler, I love the shirt. But that team was as far away from that shirt as it could possibly get. And you you get through a few years and, and you start talking with people who were around the organization then. And every one of us have always said, why didn't we write a book? Why didn't we keep better notes? And the thing was you really were in disbelief as the year went along. You always thought it was going to turn around. The team started off losing its first three games, and that's not uncommon. That happens. It's, it's not great, but it happens. And then they just didn't win, and they didn't win some more. And you just kept thinking, no, it, it's going to turn around because they did have some talent. Picture this, all right? You've said the record, 360 and 3. All right, here's a little trivia question for anybody who had, has no idea what the answer is. How many NHL draft picks came from that season? At the end of the year, how many players from that team that won three games, lost 60, and tied three, because you could tie in those days, yep. how many players were drafted? The, the right answer should be zero, none. Was it like seven? It wasn't quite that many, but it was four. Four. I so remember reading four. up on it. Off the, off the team that still holds the record for fewest wins and fewest points in an OHL season, an Ontario Hockey League season, and a Canadian Hockey League season, so all of Major Junior, four guys were drafted. Because this team, the players, actually had promise. And a couple of years later, a lot of guys who maybe weren't necessarily on the team, but a couple of the rookies had a chance to be on a team that got to within one win of the Memorial Cup. So they went to game seven in the OHL championship series. But you just you never believed that that would happen. Their first win came on their final game before the holiday break. So if you and I were talking right now and a season had begun 
say September 21st. That's usually September 21st, September 22nd, just for argument's sake. That's about when the year begins. They would be about to win their first game this Friday night. They would have gone from, and it seemed long during the pandemic, but they would have gone from the beginning of the season, roughly late September to now, and they would be about to win their first game on Friday night. It, it's so incredible because, you know, I, I wrote for the, I wrote for a website covering the entire CHL one season. And yeah, there, you go to a couple leagues and there are some divisions that, oh, you have the top teams, you know, I think a couple of years ago, Ottawa 67s were kicking tail, but then there was the, like, there was a widespread, that was a nuclear widespread between the top and bottom of the league. But, you know, for yourself, then you go to Calgary for a couple of years and you come back and right when that, when you came back in 2000, that is when, like you said, it was right after they came. Was it was it the year after or the two years after they came one game from the OHL championship? Was it two years after? after? Yeah, two years after. But the, that's when the big change happened because that's when the Hunter brothers, along with, I believe, Basil McRae was part of that team. They bought the Knights, and that is when the franchise did a big 180 and become, became the powerhouse Knights that – a lot of people like to uh, point fingers and like, oh, come on, it's the Knights. They're always good. Yeah, but that's only been for the last 20 years because late in that 05 season, they never won a Memorial Cup, Mike. I mean, that you came in almost, you came back almost at the perfect time for this London Knights franchise. Well, I'm, I'm a passenger on this ride. And you know what? As, as memorable as the 360 and 3 run was, and the next year was a little tougher, you got to see the guys really grow. And some great people took over that organization at that time. Paul McIntosh was there. Gary Agnew was there. Paul McIntosh is involved with the Dallas Stars right now. And they just had an incredible run. Gary Agnew has been in the National Hockey League. So they really started to climb. Markendale Hunter took over a team that, again, was was in kind of a an off year. They had to trade to fill out the roster at the beginning. They took over pretty much an expansion team, but they took it over and they poured themselves into it. And that's been absolutely the key to their success is the two of them. And Basil McRae is, is still a part of the organization. At times, he's even taken over the general manager reins when Mark Hunter was with the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have poured themselves into it. And they didn't know what they were getting in the beginning because they had a pretty humble start as well. They were playing in an arena that was nearing its end. When it rained, it rained outside and it rained inside. And they were the ones who got the mops up. And if the ice needed to be resurfaced before practice, that's what they did. They kind of did all of the things that needed to be done, and they started to build a team. And they looked ahead on the calendar when they took the team over, and they saw that in 2005, the London Knights had an opportunity, as did anybody else in the OHL, to bid to host the Memorial Cup. And they thought, you know, I wonder if we could start to build our team and we could have it in as competitive as possible a position in 2005 maybe we host the Memorial Cup in London for the very first time because there was talk of a new arena at that point and they knew that it was coming. It would be a big arena. It would hold 9,000 people for hockey. And that's where they set their goal and they built toward that. And that shirt that you have on is living proof that that plan kind of worked out okay. 
Well, that team was ridiculous. I, I pulled up the roster just to make sure. I mean, Brandon Prust, Corey Perry, and yes, everyone looks at Corey Perry now. Like, oh, he's old. Listen, Corey Perry in London was a world beater. He had 130 points that year, Mike. I'm sure you remember. I mean, you also have guys like Danny Severe, who was awesome. Dave Boland. I mean, the list goes on and on. Goaltenders, Adam Dennis, who had an incredible year as well. That And, of course, Gerald Coleman was the starting goaltender for the majority of it. Like, top to bottom. I mean, and this is why I think it almost like that's a full circle thing. Within less than a decade, Mike, the team went from three wins, one of the worst records, the worst record in the CHL history, to one of the best seasons ever. I mean, it was just this incredible turnaround over. And, yes, it took a while, but they got there and they did it in style. They did. They did. And even that team, the humility on that team, the one thing that you can always know about that particular club, just like you believed in 95-96 when they only won three games, that this was about to stop, this was about to turn around, that team never let themselves believe that they were too good. That was a club that wouldn't lose. They started the year and they didn't lose. In fact, they went 29-0-2, so their first 31 games. And they had guys away at World Junior Camp, and they were still winning games because they went on a, a huge run. They tied the record for longest unbeaten streak to start the season and then broke the record for longest unbeaten streak to start the season. And then you lost Corey Perry, you lost Danny Savret, Dave Boland, I think, was at a, a World Junior Camp. They lost some guys. And they kept on winning and they went 31 games without a loss. And by the end of the year, they only had seven losses in regulation and they ended up only losing nine all year long. And that's counting playoffs. And yet this team wouldn't let themselves believe that, oh, we got this. Yeah, no problem. They went into every game, same way, business-like, let's see what happens. And there were games, there was a game they were down 5-2 after the second period to a very good Peterborough Peets team. And they came out in the third period, and in that intermission, in that second intermission, they decided, you know, this isn't happening. So they were not afraid to stand up and say, hey, you know, you have to be better. I have to be better. You have to be better. This has to be better. And they were accountable to each other. And they went out and they ended up winning that game 7-5. But there are so many different examples that year of just, you never know, and we're not going to say that it's for sure. They won the OHL championship, and they played Sidney Crosby in the Ramuski Oceanic in game one of the Memorial Cup. And Ramuski had gone on this huge run, and the headlines were all about Sidney Crosby, who was about to go first overall in the NHL entry draft. Right. And the Knights players will even admit going into that first game. So it's opening night. The Knights have, you know, taken all the pressure off their back because you didn't want to go in as the host team. You wanted to go in as a champion. If they had lost in the OHL championship series, they still would have hosted the Memorial cup, but they wouldn't have that, that, you know, that fact that we've earned our way in. So that was, it was a big thing that they wanted to do. And they were sitting around wondering, well, well how good is this Sidney Crosby? You know, he, he wears skates like the rest of us, right? You know, he, He's, he's got one stick, right? He's not playing with three sticks. They don't put an extra puck on the ice for him. How good is this guy? He can't, can't be that good, right? And so they get out onto the ice, and they watch him warm up a little bit, and then the game starts, and the puck drops, and Sidney Crosby wins the faceoff at center ice, 
toe drags a Knights defenseman, skates across the blue line, zings a pass across the ice, and the Ramuski Oceanic in about the first five seconds of the game hit the crossbar. And everybody on the bench just went, whoa, who is this guy? And Ramuski was up 3-1 at the end of the first period. And the team went in, and instead of saying, you know, we're, we're out of our league, you know, we, we don't have this one, they came to the conclusion that, well, that's probably the best that, uh, that they can do. And uh, we're hanging with them. Might not have the lead, but we're hanging with them. And they came back. They chipped away. Mark Mathod, who went on to a long NHL career, was not a goal scorer, never was. He was the reason Eric Carlson in Ottawa was able to take the puck up the ice because Mark Mathod was always back covering off defensively. And he scored two goals, including the overtime winner. And to this day, anybody who's had that game will tell you it's the best game they've ever seen live. I've never heard anybody say, no, no, I got that one beat. You can't beat it. It was unbelievable. And uh, and the Knights ended up going on to win the Memorial Cup that year to help create that shirt. Yeah, some people – I remember watching that game. We were at my my aunt, my great-uncle. So my great-uncle, who is from St. Thomas, who's in the Royal Canadian Navy and lives out over here in West Michigan now, I remember watching that game on a satellite feed somehow into his house. And I just remember watching him like, man, because they kept saying the next one, the next one, the next one with Crosby. And I'm like, all right, let's let's watch him play. And you want, and even in that game against London, even you know, a little bit in the championship game, you saw what he could be, and oh, what and what he's going to be. And he was amazing. But I'm like, but it just seemed like London had more. And I still, because he's still there today behind the bench, took a couple of stints every so often. But Dale Hunter, I don't know if this team, and yes, because the Hunters did buy the team and they've revamped it. Mark being the general manager for most of the time, and Dale being the head coach. How do you think, like, when you talk about those teams coming back from 5-2 deficits, 3-1 down in the Memorial Cup in the first game, and being able to just stay humble and stay focused, I don't know if there's a better coach for that role than Dale Hunter. Mike, I'm sure you can attest to that. Dale is, is an unbelievable coach and an unbelievable person. He understands people better than anybody I've ever met to be able to know, okay, this is what you need to succeed. Here's how I'm going to bring you to that point. He has such a keen understanding of that. And you're right. He's somebody who's not going to worry behind the bench. And the players know that. You know certain things with Dale Hunter. If you are giving effort, you are going to give ice time or you're going to get ice time. And if something's not working, you don't have to worry about, you know, trying to, how how do we get this untracked? How do we do this? Dale will just, he'll mix things up. If you look at two occasions, I'll go to another Memorial Cup. The Knights won the Memorial Cup in 2016 in Red Deer. And in the final game, it was tight. They were playing the Rouen Aranda Huskies. And it was 1-1. The two goals came. I think it was 15 seconds apart. So it was 1-1. Rouen Aranda scores. They go ahead 2-1. About four minutes to go in the game, and it's still 2-1. And the Knights at that point, coming into that game, had won 16 consecutive playoff and Memorial Cup games. And even they can't believe to this day that 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 kind of a streak was built. But it just kind of went one after the other. And they're sitting there on the bench and heads are starting to sag just a little bit. And Dale just wanted to mix something up. That's that's the way he'll term it. He goes, yeah, things weren't, they, they weren't working. So I just wanted to mix something up. 
And so in a TV timeout, the final TV timeout before the final four minutes are played where the Knights need a goal, you're up against an amazing team in the Rouen Aranda Huskies, a goaltender who has been playing lights out in this particular game. They had Brandon Crawley come to the middle of the bench out of nowhere. He was a Knights defenseman. And he said, no, it's not going to end this way. This doesn't stop this way. This, this is not happening. This is not happening. Kept saying things like that. And then he went and sat back down. And Dale Hunter had been sending Christian Dvorak, who now plays for the Arizona Coyotes, out to take defensive zone faceoffs on one side of the ice. And then he would come off the ice after he won it because he, he was good on faceoffs. So he'd go out and win a faceoff, chip the puck out. And he would come to the bench, and he was playing with Mitch Marner, who plays for the Maple Leafs, and Matthew Kachuk, who plays for the Calgary Flames. They were they were the best line in junior hockey that year. No question. And no question. Dale looked and and said, "I got to do something here." Hey, Devo, stay out. So instead of coming to the bench, he said, "No, stay out." So he was out there with Max Jones. Max is from Michigan yep. and now plays for the Anaheim Ducks and a guy named Aaron Barisha. And sure enough, Christian Dvorak won the faceoff and would have gone to the bench. That would have been it. But Dale was just, he was just trying something. Just, you know, you're not going to give up. You're going to do something different. And the puck winds up going down the ice. Max Jones gets knocked down. Puck goes into the corner. Max gets himself back up and maybe didn't take too kindly to being knocked down. He went beelining into the corner and threw a body check that jarred a puck free. Aaron Barisha grabbed it, centered it out in front. Who was there? Shouldn't have been there. Should have been on the bench. Christian Dvorak. And he scored and tied the game. And from there, the team will tell you, we didn't have a doubt. We were going to find a way to get that other goal. They did in overtime, and they won another Memorial Cup. But that was Dale being Dale, not giving up, wanting to do something different. And he's got another... Perfect example, last year he's coaching Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championship. They're down 3-1 to Russia. They come back, tie the game 3-3, and Dale just standing on the bench, looking at line combinations, he looks down the bench, and Akil Thomas is sitting there. And Akil is a guy who we should get to know in the National Hockey League pretty soon. But Dale looks down and he sees Thomas on the back, and he goes, you know, that guy has scored big goals in his career. And so he took him from whatever line he was on and he had him go out with two different players. And that shift, Akil Thomas gets a little tip pass, goes in, scores the game, win. Doesn't happen every time. We could probably tell stories in which it didn't happen, but Dale's willing to do those things. Put players in positions where he knows they can succeed. He'll do it as, as a youngster. If you're 16 years old and playing with Dale Hunter, playing for Dale Hunter, you're not necessarily going to be out on the number one power play because you're not, you're not ready for that against 20-year-old penalty killers in the OHL. He's going to put you out in places where you can succeed. But when you're ready and he knows that he's got somebody who can make a difference, that can make something happen, you're going to be out in every key situation and, and he's going to put you there. And if it takes mixing things up, that's going to happen. And the players... It almost takes a little pressure off them because they know, hey, this is happening for a reason. Boom. And usually good things happen. When you look at the Knights record, it's, uh, it's proof. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because I, whenever I talk to people that are, that do follow junior hockey, say, oh, I'm a London Knights fan. They're like, oh, Alliance. You may, I mean, you may as well be a New York Yankees fan, at least for, if you're making a reference to the States. Yankees, but Patriots, they, yeah, those references are made a lot. Well, Tom Brady's gone now, so I don't have to cheer for New England. I was a Brady fan because he's a Michigan boy, so that's the only reason I was cheering for New England. At least that's what I tell people. But, you know, it's funny. We'll get back to that 
cup run here in a second, but the goal by Akil Thomas, it's so, cause I, I knew him like, Oh yeah, he's a, you know, he's a great player. He's got skill. He's a lot of night guy, but typically you almost sometimes see coaches in, in the world juniors try to, at least in the Canadian side that I've noticed, they, they'll have their guys on their team, but they will try to almost refrain from playing them. And it's funny that like, you talk about Hunter saying, you know what, let's, let's throw Akil Thomas. I know what he can do. Let's put him out there. And quick side story, I'm at, we're at, this was of course in January, but we were celebrating Christmas with my wife's side of her family. We're in a heated garage because we had a big, you know, big party, whatever. Back when, you know, you could have social gatherings with people and stuff like that. Remember those days, Mike? Those were great. Um, But where I'm, there's a football game on, card games being played. I'm with my phone next to me watching this game. And I'm literally almost like, everyone's like, Ty, are you okay? And I'm like, because Russia was going to win. And a night in, and Mike, this may be no shocker. I have a Canada mug, a Leafs mug. I'm a Knights fan. I like Canada. I've, you know, I lived there for a little bit, played some senior league up there. So I, I like the U.S. Yeah, Canada's pretty nice. I, but I remember I was sitting there like, what's, and of course my wife comes up to me and she's like, at the time we were still engaged. We didn't get married till this past year, but she's like, come on, interact with the family. Like, we are losing to Russia right now. This is not good. And they start to come back. Hayden gets a big goal. I'm like, all right. And they tie it up. And then, this loose puck just kind of squirts into the zone. I'm like, huh. And I'm like, Akil, well, the goaltender's got to come out. No, he's not coming out. And I see Thomas just beeline from the wing, and he scores. And I let out this yelp that literally scared everybody. I, like, jumped out of this couch that was in there, and everyone's like, what happened? And, like, everyone's looking to the football game to see what happened. I'm like, nope, no, nothing happened, guys. Let me just go back into my corner. <laughs> nothing happened. I'm, I'm sitting I'm like, yes. I'm like, because it was seemed like such an unexpected play, but that's what people realize, and that's why you talk about Thomas being a guy that's going to be in the NHL and a name that we're going to say a lot, because while he was not the guy on that, Can- on that Canadian team with Lafreniere and Hayton and all those other guys, he showed that while he may not be the biggest guy on this team, he's got the ability to be a big guy for another team in the future. That's why I like yeah. about Akil Thomas. That's right, and that's that's the kind of stuff that good coaches will recognize and they make use of it when it counts most. And so now the back, back to that 16 team, I, cause I remember watching that game against Ryan Miranda. And I'm like, cause that would have been the Huskies first championship. It'd have been a big deal for them. But I'm like, once again, I'm cheering for the Knights. And I'm like, I see Kachuk and, and Mark, of course I knew Mark cause you know, he's going to be on our team here soon. This guy's going to be something. And the year before in 16 or the year, but that year, actually in the world juniors, it just seemed like it just didn't click for Team Canada, I'm like, but here's his opportunity to kind of redeem himself. But that team was just, it was solid. They weren't, I mean, you had Tyler Parsons as your goaltender, and unfortunately, the next year was when he would beat Canada in the World Juniors, but, you know, or the because then again, I don't, I have my things with shootouts and championship games. They just, they just don't seem like they should be there. But, I mean, that 2016 team was magical as well. Do you think, looking back on it, which team was more special in your eyes, Mike, and which one was more fun to call? The 0405 team, which some people still call the super team, or that 1516 team. Which one do you think was better? I don't know. That's uh, those roads are so long, and there are so many fun parts of both of them. I I was lucky to be a part of both uh, in that way, and just being able to call games. But but the players on the team, the the one thing they had in common was you could feel something special about them, and the. The 0405 team was, was so good, and it was almost like they had to just, you know, settle themselves into position and, and focus, and, and they did that so exceptionally well that, hey, everybody was telling them, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, 
and they kept that humility. And the the 2015-2016 team that won, it was kind of like, we're going to go out and get this, and nobody's getting in our way. And that was maybe the difference between the two of them was just in that sort of attitude because in 2016, they were on this roll, and they can look back and credit a series in the playoffs against the Owen Sound attack that they fell behind it. And Owen Sound has caused them to raise their game so much, maybe to a level they didn't realize as players they had. And then it just it kept going from there. And no matter who they met, especially when it got later in the playoffs, you'd had teams on good runs and they kind of thought, yeah, this run's going to continue. We've been playing great. And the Knights just kind of went, OK, well, here's how we've been playing. And, and out they went. And you're right. Tyler Parsons in net was tremendous. That team was so incredibly deep. And there were players on the team that maybe didn't get the credit that some of the the front end talent would. But Jacob Graves, who now plays in the ECHL, he was a guy that came in as a player that had played on a Memorial Cup championship team. And he just provided this don't worry, I got this. And Matthew Kachuk was another, don't worry, I've got this. And it's it's something that just reverberated through the entire team. And you need players like that. If you, if you look at the two teams as maybe different as their approaches were, the one thing they had in common, they had a guy for anything. And they could play any way you want. You want to play and hit, we can hit. You want to play skill, we'll play skill. And they could do that. Maybe the most fun story about the 2016 team is there were seven players or seven people, let's say, five players and a video coach and another member of the team personnel who thought for seven seconds that the Rouen Aranda Huskies had won the Memorial Cup because the place was jammed in Red Deer. And you had players, one of them was Evan Bouchard, who the NHL season gets going, could very easily be on the the Edmonton Oilers. Alex Formanton was another one. He could play for the Ottawa Senators this year. We'll see. Had a great year last year in in Belleville for the Baby Sens. And they were down in the Knights dressing room. And you had the Knights video coach, Rob Wilson, and you had Joey Poljanowski, and he's now with the Arizona Coyotes, and five players who were not dressed for that game. Alex Formington had been brought on the trip just to kind of see, you know, what life was like at the Memorial Cup. Just they, they knew he was going to be a great player. Here's how players at this level prepare. It was one of those trips for him. He didn't play in a game, practiced a little bit. And they were watching on the video feed. So picture this. The video feed the TV feed is seven seconds behind. So there's a seven second delay. So you can go back and watch the game winning goal in the Memorial Cup, but Ruan Aranda dumps the puck down into the London Knights zone really deep. And then all of a sudden the guys underneath in the dressing room hear this big cheer oh. thinking we lost because you know, there's a seven-second delay, sure, on the TV, but there's no way you can get down the ice in seven seconds, and we lost. And then they watch on the screen in complete disbelief, thinking this is over, just waiting for the puck to go into the Ruan or into the the night net and see Ruan Aranda celebrate. But Olio Levy tips a puck to Aiden Jamison, 
And Jamison turns and starts to come out of his zone. He gets almost to the blue line. And Matthew Kachuk had been caught up ice on that play. And the bench had been yelling, hey, get back, get back, get back. And he was just charging to get back. And all of a sudden, the Knights had control of the puck. And it was, no, go, 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 go. And starts skating up the wing. And Jamison puts the puck on his stick. And Kachuk skates across the blue line. And he does this little move where he, he drags the puck into his body so that the goalie can't see where it's coming from. And then he just snapped it at the net, right as Christian Dvorak skated in front of Chase Marchand in the Rouen-Aranda net. And that puck went in, and the Knights won. But for those seven seconds, the guys underneath thought, we lost. And then well, their celebration might have felt a little bigger, knowing that. Oh, man. I I remember that play because that was because I knew Kachuk was going to be a great player. I knew he, I mean, he was going to get drafted. He had the tools to be an outstanding NHLer. But that shot made me say, I'm like, that's an NHL shot right there. That guy is going to be something. And I like to think I was right. But then again, you know, that was back in my back when I was still playing. So I didn't know much about analytics or projecting players. But I mean, Mike, you've been doing this now. We talked about your first year was 95, 96. You came back in 2000. So safe to say you've been around the OHL for an extended period of time. A couple of quick little fun questions here. What is, you know, going on the road, going to so many different arenas, you know, for me doing college hockey here and following college hockey gets to go to rinks around the Midwest. They're fun to go to because the atmosphere and whatnot, but what, you know, in junior hockey, cause I'd been to the Dow up in Saginaw, been over to now it's called Dort financial. I remember when it was, Oh God, I forgot it was um, Piranha arena back in the day. Now where the firebirds play. You know, what kind, what rinks really stand out to you? Is there a rink on the road that you go to and you're just, you get excited to go to it every time you go with the Knights? You know, yeah, there, there are a couple. I mean, it depends on the rivalry. You mentioned Saginaw. That is the best smelling arena, not just in the OHL, in the world. They have these candied almonds that they oh, get man. going. Oh, the whole rink smells like them. And Flint is just an amazing spot to go simply just for the hospitality. Uh, Dom Hennig, who runs the show there, yep. he needs he needs some big credit because yeah, you, you just you feel like you're walking into your own home. Um, it's uh, it's a great spot. As far as maybe rinks in the OHL in the Ontario part of things, I'd have to go with Kitchener, London, and Kitchener because of some playoff battles recently. They they draw out the best in their fans. Both fan bases want to win. It's kind of like the Michigan, Ohio State, or you know, you name it. Michigan has all kinds of different ones, um, but it's you know, you name you name a rivalry that that really makes you want to beat the other side. That right now is London Kitchener, and both buildings are big. Uh, Kitchener's this arena that has been redone several times, so it's it's kind of like if they took the old Montreal Forum and kept it alive and just kept making it new and added luxury boxes and took the roof off and made it bigger. And those are the things that have happened with Kitchener where you can't walk up the seats in any other configuration than single file because it's about this wide and you just kind of walk up to your seats and it's, it's just a remarkable atmosphere. So I love doing games in Kitchener, great broadcast spot for it. Uh, but there's a lot of spots on the road that are, are great to go to. Um, you're pretty lucky simply because in the OHL, a lot of the creature comforts that were brought into the big leagues now exist in junior hockey, where, 
you know, you're not walking into a rink and looking over and seeing, well, it's minus 20 outside. And by the end of this game, it's going to be minus 25 because there's a big hole. It's not like that. They're beautiful rinks. And even the ones that maybe are a little bit older have this amazing history to them. Sudbury plays at their original rink, but it's a barn and you look up and it's wood and it comes to a point like this. And it still has a wolf that comes out on a clothesline and howls every time the wolves score. So they're just these little things that have been kept alive, even in those rinks. So just being able to go out and, and tour around, every rink's got their own little subtleties. Every fan base does. And yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. It's an absolute thrill. I, I will say this. Cause I, so I lived where I, where I played hockey in Canada. I played in Lucknow. So about an hour, about, uh, 15 minutes north of Godrich, about an hour west of the Waterloo Kitchen area. I've driven outside the War Memorial, never been inside it. I'd been there a couple <laughs> times because that was the only good place. Believe it or not, Lucknow was so small, Mike, that you had to go either you either drove to Listowel, which was okay, or you went to Kitchener to get your skates done because that's actually where they kind of knew how to work skate sharpeners over there. So I'd, I'd seen it, and you could definitely tell it looks like one of those rinks that just has that amount of history. But then again, the Kitchener Rangers have been around for so long. But it kind of brings me back to one rink that I still love to watch games in, and maybe it's because this was an NHL rink for a couple of years, is the Ottawa Civic Center. Does mm-hmm. that now from because I've never been I've never been to Ottawa unfortunately yet. Does that rink have like that nostalgic feel as some like you say a Kitchener or I mean I know it's in the East so you guys don't go to it a whole lot but is the Civic Center kind of a still a cool rink to go to or does it look like one of those rinks where it's like all right, the 67s need to fix this. Like, what do you, what do you think about Ottawa? You want to know what the coolest part about the civic center is? It is that it's in Ottawa. It's, <laughs> Ottawa, Ottawa is a great town, um, but it's under the football stadium. So oh, right, players yeah. pull in and they will think this is the rink. No, this, there's a football stadium right here. Where's, where's the hockey rink. But the rink is actually underneath the stands. So you have one side of Ottawa's rink that only has a tiny little lower, I won't even call it a lower bowl. It's a lower strip because the stands for the football stadium are coming up above it. And then it gets big all the way around the rest of the way. So it does have some nostalgia. I think maybe the the neatest part about Ottawa used to be they don't use it anymore, but the the broadcast area, because you would go up and you'd have all kinds of pictures of the senators and you have beautiful booths and all sorts of things. So it, maybe it was that. It does have nostalgia, but, you know, I grew up in that area. I kind of remember it from going to see 67's games, but it's, it's always been the 67's rank. Even when the senators played there, yeah, they played there for a little bit. Uh, And then the 67s actually went and played in the Senators rink for a couple of years while they were redoing the football stadium and part of the hockey rink. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a neat spot just because you've got to see how they fit a hockey rink that holds 10,000 people underneath a football stadium that holds about 30,000. Right. And that's kind of the crazy part, because I remember, yeah, because you lived you lived in Carlton Place, right? Right over by there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, so I had, a, I had a couple of buddies of mine that played over, um, actually played at Davenport with me over here in West Michigan that were from Smith's Falls. So I kind of, I have an idea about like this, I call it the CCHL footprint up, up there. And they tell me about how like, you know, Kanad and whatnot. And I was always the funny about the Civic Center because it's still, because that's where the cameras are. They, they're the ones that point at that strip 
across the ring. Mm-hmm. So it looks like, man, this thing is like a little public shack or whatever. But like you said, it gums around like that. And I, uh, I guess so. Since you grew up in that area, I got to ask you this because my dad is my dad for some reason is still a Senators fan, even though the Griffins and Senators cut ties a hundred years ago. Do you think? Kind of an off-topic question here. Do you think the Senators need to move downtown to Ottawa? Do you think that's needed for the for that franchise? Just kind of an out-of-the-blue question. Yeah, you know, I, I would say yes. And I think you'd find a lot of people in Ottawa that would say yes. At the time, it sounded perfect. But you know what? There are so many designs right now that look perfect. If you go to Saskatoon, you fly into Saskatoon and you land at the airport. And the only thing near the airport is the hockey rink because it was thought that was when there were rumors that the St. Louis blues needed a new home and that they might move to Saskatoon and become the Saskatoon blues. And the idea was put the rink out in in the outskirts kind of thing, have it out by the airport, a hotel will be built. All this stuff will happen. You can't possibly fit it downtown. There's nowhere we can put it downtown. No one would go. There's no parking. And that used to be the way that, you would think about things. And then rinks started to go downtown and people realized, no, you, you can put a stadium or a facility in the downtown. People will get there. They'll find places to park. They'll use public transit. It'll work out. And so now to have that downtown atmosphere, yeah, I think it needs to be a little closer. It's where do you drop it in Ottawa's downtown? They've talked about Le Breton Flats yeah, uh, but that has that has a lot of work to be done with the ground underneath. If you're going to support a big stadium on top of it, it's it'll be talked about for a long, long time. But they had thought you mentioned Canada. They thought that when it went into Canada, that is kind of a a little I don't want to call it a mini city, but it kind of has the makings of that kind of a suburb of Ottawa. They had thought when you drove outside of the city, you'd go and you'd park and and that you'd get that area building up and it just hasn't happened the way they envisioned it and now all people do is complain about how difficult it is to get out of the parking lot it's it's like going to a football game in buffalo you're going to spend some time tailgating and it's a lot of fun you're also going to spend some time getting out of the stadium at the end so it's it's very similar to that so do they need to move downtown they don't need to they have a beautiful facility but at the same time to have what Philadelphia has or to have what Detroit has built with Comerica Park and Ford Field and Little Caesars just around the corner to have that atmosphere that everybody seems to love. Uh, they don't have that and they won't have that where they're situated now. Yeah, it's funny because you mentioned how they wanted to move out because they'd be better. And that's, of course, what the Lions and Pistons did. The Pistons went over to Auburn Hills. The Lions went to Pontiac. And now you don't want to go to either of those towns, eh? because the teams moved back into Detroit. So I, I I would like to say out of all the things that Detroit is, maybe they have a say, Hey guys, see, you can move back to your downtown area. We did it. I mean, even though the yeah. lions and pistons don't win anything, but you know, neither here nor there, but I mean, it's, it's so interesting to look at all that. And you know, this has been a fun little trip down memory lane with you, Mike, because you know, like I said, as a Knights fan and kind of coming from a family that, or well, not coming from a family, a distant family that is from that area. I mean, the Knights are, I, with the ownership that it is, and it's just so funny to look back because I was born into, you know, my first couple of years was this Knights team that was a championship contender. But people don't, they forget that the 05 championship was their first Memorial Cup. They were so bad the decade before that, it seemed like. 
and they were able to turn around. And you yourself, I mean, were there any other moments that really stuck out to you outside the Memorial Cup, outside of the 360-3 that will stick with you for the rest of your time? Yeah, there are a lot. Um, but I think just being able to watch how this has happened because you look at, at the system that the Knights have put in place. If you want the Knights' blueprint, give Mark or Dale Hunter a call. They'll tell you. They'll show you. They'll help you because people help them when they first got into the league. And the thing that you'll find hard is having the work ethic that it takes to put that blueprint to use. They work so incredibly hard. Mark has this, this just this eye for talent. What he might see in one viewing, it will take you 30 games to appreciate. And he'll be able to go out and with his scouting staff, find that talent. And then Dale and his coaching staff, they develop that talent. And in junior hockey, you don't have a lot of time. You've got guys for three, maybe four years, and that's all. And your roster is always turning over. And so you don't have a lot of time to develop. And a lot of teams will be very good at finding the talent, but development won't be there. Some teams won't maybe find the talent, but they'll be very good at developing it. It's very rare to find both. And the Knights have that. And it comes from a work ethic. It also comes from kind of a family values setting. Dick Hunter is the father of Mark and Dale, and he instilled these incredible family values. You know, they grew up on a farm. Everybody had to work hard. There was, you know, it was, it was work hard from, from dawn till dusk if it needed to be done. Whatever had to be done, they would do it. And that's kind of the attitude that they've brought in. And nobody's any bigger than anybody else. It has to be a team of equals. And that's something that they certainly stand by. And they'll teach you if you need to know how to play hockey to make it to the next level. Uh, they'll teach you that. And that's proven in the number of players that come out of the Knights organization and wind up in the National Hockey League. But they're still as proud and, and just as proud of the players who come out and become doctors or the players that come out and, you know, become pharmaceutical salespeople or you name it. It's it's just it's amazing what the time that you get in junior hockey, because it is as difficult a time as it is in balancing hockey and school and maybe a social life as a teenager. Wayne Gretzky always says you have those three things, hockey, school and a social life. Pick two because you can't pick all three. And so it's it's tough. And in London, they're under enough of a microscope where there's a lot of coverage of the team. There's a big following of the team. So, you know, that comes with pressure and being able to be in that. If, if you can survive that and if you can perform at that level, you can look at whatever you're going to do in life and say, well, you know what? As a 17 year old, 18 year old, I was able to play for the Knights. I was able to play in the OHL. Yeah, I could do this, too. And so being able to watch that and see some of the players come through, that's uh, that's been that's been rewarding. That, that definitely sounds like something that's really worrying. It's funny because you mentioned the Hunters and my stepmom, who now lives here in Grand Rapids, right down the, actually right down the road from me. She, and I wonder, she asked me to, this is her one request, She because <laughs> she used to live around the corner from one of the Hunters. I forget if it was Dale or Mark. But she actually, you actually interviewed her. Her name is Colleen Keel. She was the uh, Will of Fortune. And what, you remember her? Yeah, absolutely do. All right, that I told as one thing I was told to ask, like ask him about me, see if he remembers who I am, because 
Because apparently if someone, I, I can't forget her. She's my stepmom and she is awesome. And That's so, amazing. I had no idea that connection existed. I should now, you know, the keel, there aren't, there aren't that many keels around, but. Yeah, no, there is. And she's watching right now. So I'm pretty sure she's probably going like, oh my gosh, she mentioned my name. I guarantee that's how she reacted. But um, this has been fun, Mike. I was going to ask you about Connor McMichael and Hunter Skinner making it to the World of Juniors, but unfortunately, we're going to run out of time here before our next guest comes on the show. Mike, this has been fun. I know, you know, we're all waiting for the OHL to start back up. And, you know, February right now is a tentative date. You know, we'd like it to be sooner, but hey, as long as we get back on the ice, right? Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. We've got to do all the things we're asked to do, and Here's hoping that all these numbers everywhere can come down a little bit and that guys can get a little bit of a season and, you know, give us, give us a little bit of an escape. Sports is always that toy store that's recess, the escape. And uh, I think we're all due for a little junior hockey flavored escape. I concur with you 100% there, Mike. We've been talking with Mike Stubbs, the voice of the London Knights for over 20 years. Now, Mike, take care, stay safe, and hopefully we hear you on the air soon. Tyler, thanks so much. Thanks for this. It's been fun. It's been fun. All right, folks, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, more of the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. And welcome back to the Kula Show, everyone. Tyler Kula here, the insider of the insiders. That was fun, wasn't it? Mike Stubbs, the play-by-play voice of the London Knights, a guy that I've I've thought about getting on the show for so long, but I was never sure. You know, he's one of those guys that you're like, oh, that'd be he'd be a cool guy to talk to. But uh, let's uh, let's get our next guest on here. As I click the admit button, ladies and gentlemen, if I get him, there he is. Oh man, look at this guy, Marcus. I think your mic is off. Oh no, your mic's not off. I got to put my earbud back in. Hold on. Ah. There we are. Now I can hear you, Marcus Kenny. Ladies and gentlemen, as I live and breathe, Marcus, how are you? I was going to say I, I, I am doing fantastic this evening, Tyler. Thank you uh, for letting me join you. I, I was going to yell. I can always talk louder. Some people tend to think that I'm not loud enough, so I could always get louder. Marcus, I have tr- – so let me int- so let me do a better introduction here. Ladies and gentlemen, the strength and conditioning coordinator <laughs> for the Grand Rapids Griffins, the American Hockey League affiliate of the Detroit Red Wings, Marcus Kenny, joining me on the show here. <laughs> so Marcus and I – gosh, Marcus, this is me. So we – of course, we just talked with Mike Stubbs of London Knights. He's always a fun guy to talk to, but – Marcus and I, we know each other, unfortunately, <laughs> but well, he'd probably say unfortunately, but Marcus, how, cause you came to Michigan, what, 2011, 2012? Well, 2012. And him and I met at the old Barwis methods there off East Paris. My dad actually met him cause he actually brought me out there to see him. So my dad's watching this right now. Probably like, Hey, I remember that guy. So, hey, Mr. Cool, so I, because and so Marcus did a little bit of training with me, so I actually trained him. Now, yes, it did not quite work out professionally for me, but he, Marcus is a guy that got me into a ridiculous amount of shape. And I will say this: had I not trained with Marcus Kinney, I probably would never have been able to squat more than three hundred pounds. I can't now, but back then I could, thanks to Mister Marcus Kinney. So, Marcus, I will at least give you that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So. Let's kind of let's do a little quick little backstory here on you, Marcus. You came to Michigan. Never, I mean, had you vi- before you started working here? Have you ever visited Michigan before you moved here? Uh, one time in the early '90s, I went with some people up north. Uh, we got a spring break package to go to Nubs Knob and ski on Ooh. some off time. So that was about it. 
Uh, okay. So, and Marcus, obviously strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning coordinator. You worked in Tulsa. You worked, did you work, you worked with West Virginia too, right? Before you came yes. here? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you moved up here. First, what got you? I know you, you know, you're, you're an army guy, you're a military guy. How did you get, how did you want to pursue, or why did you choose to pursue strength and conditioning? Well, um, I, I've always had an interest in lifting weights. And that was one of the things I messed around with in the military. So uh, as I was uh, getting close to my time ending in the military, I had all this money put into the GI Bill. So, you know, you get an education to uh, do something. Um, so I thought I wanted to go into physical therapy. That was, that was the original goal. And then uh, I got kind of snobbish, you know. I wanted to focus specifically with athletes. And then uh, in, my, in my educational discoveries, I found a career called athletic training. And I thought, wow, how great. I can work with athletes and be a part of sports teams because, you know, let's face it, being in the military is a part of being a, a giant sports team. You're, you're a team. Yep. So that, that piece has always, has always been there with me for the greater good of something or the other. So um, athletic training was what I wanted to get into. And then along the lines of athletic training, I discovered that there was actually a growing field called strength and conditioning. Well, heck, it got even better for me then. So I'm like, so you mean that I could actually work in a weight room and make a living? So it was even better. But again, however, at that point in time in the early 90s, uh, there was basically zero education for strength and conditioning. And honestly, about the closest that you could get to a strength and conditioning curriculum was athletic training. There were so many principles in athletic training rehab that cross over with strength and conditioning. It's unreal. So that's kind of how it started. I went to a school, Wilmington College in Wilmington, Ohio, small division three school between Columbus and Cincinnati. And I had the opportunity to be in the athletic training program as well as be the strength and conditioning coach. So I picked, I started with football and then picked up about seven or eight other sports along the way for the three years that I was there. So I had a chance to, to read strength and conditioning literature and work on trying to put into effect everything that I was learning along the way with strength and conditioning. So it was fun. I just had like a real world laboratory. And um, of course, now the strength and conditioning field has burgeoned. There are a lot of colleges that offer strength conditioning as a minor. You can find that out and cobble some classes together. Still keep pushing to have that actually enacted as a major somewhere. But um, it's still, it's, uh, that, that's how strength conditioning came to be for me. I, mean, I think they call it kinesiology. Is I think right. the closest thing to have to, it's the closest thing to have to a degree. Because you, you mentioned how you started out in the early 90s. And, I mean, there was the fitness craze in the 80s. I mean, shoot, everyone looks at um, – Oh my God. Olivia Newton, John and her videos, like, let's, let's get, physical. get physical. Yes. There. Yeah. All of everyone remembers those. Cause like there was that, but it wasn't like, you know, that was just getting in shape and looking strong and being muscular. There wasn't like, all right, guys, we got to play 60 minutes tonight. Let's train for that. Like there wasn't that kind of training back in those days. Like I look at old videos of Cam Neely, he's just doing pull-ups and I'm like, Oh, that's good. But like, yeah, but functionality, like, I mean, Tell me how it's changed so much from those early days until now where everything is so sport-centric. Well, 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 one of the biggest aspects I think that has helped it change a lot was it goes back to the athletic training part and injury prevention. Once you started getting some solid research in about, about doing some weight room work can reduce the occurrence of being injured when you compete in athletics, as well as if you happen to be injured, your recovery time is turned around a little bit quicker. So that, that helped, um, I think, really, really push the field of strength and conditioning 
uh, and to where it's going. Uh, there's an organization I'm a part of and I hold one of, my, one of my certifications in the National Strength Conditioning Association. Again, they were on the ground floor of, of, of getting strength conditioning put together. So again, now you have a whole separate arm now of, of, of research uh, where there are, you know, the people who are lab rats that love, love being in labs and running research have been doing all kind of research to test strength and conditioning theories, which again is, is, has been supported. So that's, that's helped to blow the field up tremendously. And, uh, you know, and again, uh, uh, there, there was always some reluctance in the beginning, I think, with, with sports and people, some athletes, they would always start with, well, you know, I don't want my people to get all big and bulky and look like bodybuilders or something. But it, again, it just you have to train for that to be that. <laughs> right. Like you see Mr. Like ever, anyone ever says, oh, man, look at Mr. Olympia is so strong. And I'm like, I want to see that guy do a hundred yard dash. Right, he's he's and he's not. And again, if you're a bodybuilder, usually you're not strong. You look strong. It's a whole different training parameter. But right. usually, it blows people's minds. You know, usually to get that kind of bigness, what's known as a hypertrophy cycle, you're actually your volume is kind of high. You're looking eight to fifteen reps, repetitions for a set, three to four sets, somewhere around a minute and a half, no more than two minutes in between sets. So your loads are big, a way way different. If you're making someone stronger, which blows their mind, it doesn't really make you bigger. It's handling heavier weight with lower reps with longer recovery periods. And it's again, it's about hitting the nervous system and um, grabbing motor units and muscles. So it usually blows people's minds all the time. I was like, oh, what's one of us cracking me up? People first start lifting. Well, I don't want to get too big. I just want to go light and do a lot of volume. It's kind of like, well, that's kind of how you get big. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you got to do. Yeah, that's kind of what you do. And that's, and that's what I learned as well. And we'll get, I guess, a little bit more into how, you know, how hockey players train here a little bit, because I'd like your, your story is kind of interesting in the fact that you come to Michigan, work for another company. And then all of a sudden within like a snap of your fingers, you're working with a hockey team. Now, yes, you're doing your side stuff as well. I know you work with a couple other schools and work with other athletes, but all of a sudden you're with the Grand Rapids Griffins. How did that all come about? Absolutely crazy. Again, it goes back to the training center. That summer of 2012, I started working with a guy named Luke Glendening. Some yep. people may have heard of him or know him. And then there was another guy named Chris Summers. Those two guys played at the University of Michigan at some point in time in their hockey careers. Well, again, my business partner, my buddy, Mike Barr, was he and I go back to grad assistant, assistant days together at West Virginia in the mid-90s. Mike, at that point in time, it was at one point in time, was the head strength conditioning coach at Michigan for football with Rich Rodriguez. Yep. So those guys got to know Mike during his time at Michigan. Well, of course, you know, as the Michigan fans know, that didn't work out too well, having Rich as their head coach. And he was asked to leave, and that left the door open for Mike to go. Well, when Mike went, him and another one of our guys was a former athlete and in the company, Dan Moses, they found a spot in Plymouth, Michigan to open up a training center. So, again, Mike knew those guys from there. And once you try to do a place here in Grand Rapids, you know, Luke, East Grand Rapids native. Chris Summers was dating a girl that was from East Grand Rapids. So I had those two guys that summer right off the bat. Mike Knubel ends up joining those guys in the summer of 2012, too. So those are my, my three first big hockey players. So 2012 was a strike year in, in hockey, as we all know. And um, when the season started out, from what I understand, most of the NHL guys were playing down here at the AHL level. And that picked Glenn Denning down to um, Toledo. And he was playing in Toledo for most of the year. Yep. Once the strike was settled and everything returned as normal, Glennie was pulled up to, to Grand Rapids. So he gets up here and he's working. You know, they're, they're doing hockey stuff. And they have no strength coach. They have none. 
So Glenn Denning, Luke goes to uh, Blasio, goes to Coach Blasio, goes to Blash, and goes, hey, you know, there's a guy across town that I worked with all summer who's, who's pretty decent. Um, can we get him in here for a strength conditioning coach? Well, they brought me in for an interview. So I sat down with Blash and our former athletic trainer, John Bernal, to talk. And um, it, was, it, was, it was a great talk. And again, um, I, uh, in, in speaking with Bernie, you know, he asked me a few questions. You know, what are, what are some things you think may get injured hockey players? And I, well, I, again, I could imagine shoulders are absolutely huge. I talked about strengthening shoulders. And I said a few things that clicked with Bernie. So while I look like your typical meathead mushmelon, I got a couple of wrinkles in here with two or three brain cells that arc off each other. So I, I spoke with him, so he understood, wow, this guy's a total meathead. He actually has a, a little modicum of intelligence and understands what he's doing. So they brought me in, and, and as Blash told me, Blash, in that year, they brought me in, I think the interview was late January, sometime in January, top of February. So they brought me in, and Blash goes, um, we're going to offer you the job, but I can't offer you anything beyond this year. Um, we just need somebody to get us through this season. And I was agreeable to that. I think like any person, in any person in this world, what you really want is an opportunity to prove yourself. And if, and if you're confident about what you do and you feel good about what you do in your training, you want an opportunity. There was no, I didn't know if they would bring me back or not, but I knew that I was going to capitalize on my opportunity and I could probably make, make it hard for them. So at the end of the year, uh, of course, it ended pretty well. They got their old, uh, you know, won the first Colder Cup here, which, again, I didn't have anything to do with. I was lucky to gravy train that. But at the end of the year, when they did the exit interviews, Blash goes, all the guys had good things to say about you. Are you interested in coming back next season? Well, <laughs> of course I am. Who's so, going to say no to a pro professional sports team? Like, they have to be, like, paying you, like, nothing in order to say no to that. Well, yeah, again, it's so funny. You know, people think it's a big gravy train sport. But, I mean, sometimes in pro sports, they pay you nothing because there's a million people that want your job. But, I mean, again, that's, man, that's all you ask for is an opportunity. Again, I, I was, you know, again I'm, I'm being facetious, so. Uh, I was fairly compensated by the organization, and I still feel that I am today. So it's 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 an honor and a privilege to be a part of this. So I just like to make some jokes. No, sometimes. Yeah. It, well, it's funny because I remember because I started because that twelve thirteen year that was my senior year. That's when I started working because goaltending coach of mine, leader of the second string leather company that we're sponsored by here on the Cool Show, Joe Messina, suggested me to go work out with you guys because at that time I was. 130 pounds probably you were very skinny i was strong i look skinny in this shirt now this is a large shirt that's why i look i look really skinny i mean i'm not as strong as i was at my peak but i was like i had no muscle mass skin and bones i had abs that's because there was nothing in front of them (laughs) i but and i remember like he's like hey you you know you're joe's like you're a good goaltender but you gotta do more uh, off the ice and i'm like and i'd never taken this stuff seriously before i'd stretched or whatever and limbered up, but I thought, ah, Mark andre Fleury is 160 pounds. He's not, you know, Ryan Miller, he doesn't have any weight. I'm like, we don't need weight as goaltenders, but I learned really quickly having to go there and actually doing that. I was like, oh, this actually helps strength training. Yeah. And I remember the first time I actually recognized the fact that you were with working with the Griffins was one of the, um, one of their hype videos, one of their promos for the game to get the crowd hyped up. They showed the Griffins training and it was at the facility. And I was like, Hey, I know that place. <laughs> I've, I've been there. I remember the turf and that one concrete wall at the end that I'd throw the crossballs at when I'd get bored during my training. Cause for some reason you guys just refused to kick me out if I got bored or whatever, but no, that like that, that started and now it's continued and gosh, it's been, 
what, it's been seven years, a little over seven years now. You're going into your eighth season with this team. What have you learned going from, you know, training, you know, just starting out, you know, training a few guys, but now training a whole team. What has been, I guess, the evolution of your training from 2012, 2013 to 19, season? Like what have, what have you learned and what have you evolved with Marcus training with the Griffins or training the Griffins? Well, I mean, what the, I think um, the, the biggest thing is, is understanding how to train guys around the competition schedule, especially when you include traveling, you know, again, working college and being, you know, the boss for football, that's a pretty easy, again, it's one of those, uh, it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to train for. You have one football contest a week and you play X number, boom, it's done. Um, and the travel is pretty simple. You're either home or you go somewhere and you come right back. I mean, travel in, in the A, the guys will tell you, man, that the, and, and again, I found out last year traveling with them. I heard the stories. Travel's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. You know, you finish your game here on a Friday night, and then you have to hop on a bus to go to Iowa. Luckily, we didn't, I don't think we had any Iowa trips on Saturday, but I mean, you get the idea. From here to Milwaukee, four hours on a bus. Uh, we're pulling out at 11 o'clock at night. You lose an hour in time, but it's still four hours. Um, so, again, it's, it's understanding how, how to keep guys going and keep guys up to speed dealing with travel and, and a game schedule. Uh, man, it's, sometimes it's just, that's, it's, it's just brutal. You know, sometimes our workout days are just come in, get warmed up. Uh, we'll do some mobility, flexibility work, a little bit of core, a little bit of maintenance work, and, and hit the road. So, that, to me, that's, that's the, always the challenge is you can't, I cannot wait to get a schedule in my hand to try and pl- try to plan my training for the course of the month or for this, for the, for the, for that whole competition year, looking at where our dates are and what's going on. That's been the biggest thing is just incorporating the challenges of, of three games a week, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, if that's usually how you're rolling into, uh, and, and with travel and the training guys and trying to keep them as optimal as possible during the course of the year. Cause that's something I learned too. Cause I, I never exactly worked out with summers. I'd skated with them for a couple of summers, but just kind of talking with them and, you know, how to train in the off season compared to during the season. Now, yes, those guys, they play in the American Hockey League. And I know like Chad Billens plays over in Sweden. They play quite often. I kind of took that a little bit, even, you know, in my, my very brief pro career, my semi-pro career, kind of like how to, all right, build up, build up, build up. Once season starts, it's just maintain. You don't want to try too much. And that's, like you said, that's different because people think, oh, I mean, when I started in high school, oh yeah, I'd go do some bench reps, do some squat reps, whatever, what have you. And I learned that that's not the case. and That's not what you want to do when you want to be a hockey player. Marcus, what is the biggest difference for people at home that may not, you know, they may have a younger athlete that wants to play hockey that it's not just, all right, throw them in the gym and, you know, get stronger. It's how, like, what are the biggest differences between training for hockey compared to, I don't want to say simpler sports, but like more common sports like football or basketball, like how the training is different between those sports. The, the, the biggest thing, I mean, again, um, depends on the individual and no matter what the sport. If, if you're trying to make somebody gain some size, again, you, you use the goalie thing over there. It, it wasn't so important for you as a goalie to be super big or to have a lot of weight. You got to be strong enough to last for at least three periods and, um, and be ready to go with that. So it kind of depends on the individual, um, what, what they need to put in there. So, again, if you're going to make someone bigger, add more size to them, we talked about that hypertrophy thing a little bit earlier. I mean, those are hypertrophy principles. Uh, if you're looking at keeping somebody strong, then you have to use strength principles. Use a little bit heavier weight. Your volume's a lot less, you know, less, re- you know, less, re- less, less reps on a set. You can add more sets. 
The biggest thing where it really comes into differentiating between sports is it's the conditioning for the sport. Right. You don't condition a hockey player like you would condition a football player, like you would condition a basketball player, like you would condition a lacrosse player. That, there, it's, that's the biggest difference to me in this field is getting someone's cardiovascular system set so they can replenish their energy as they move along through their sport. All the rest of the stuff in the weight room, the lifting, the pushing, and the pulling, it's daggone near the same sport for sport. Everybody has to use their chest at some point in time. Uh, their back has to be stabilized at some point in time to help the chest. What was I thinking about the other day? Over, over again, this is the thing where I was with the COVID thing. I've got too much time on my hands to think. Which Don't is we like all? Enemy, yeah. So it's like, you know, there's, there's only, there's really only like, only two sports that really hit me or two events where someone's backside of their body is their prime mover. Swimming, if you're doing the backstroke, and if you're part of the crew team. Oh, yeah. Those are the only things that where your, your back leads with your sport. That's what your importance is. Everything else is based up off the front side. Everything else is played in front of you. So it's just, just really weird. One, one of those things that hit me, you know, sometime in, you know, April when we're sitting around with nothing to do. You know, light bulb went off. I mean, it's, it's so funny because I, I've talked with, you know, many different people. Of course, we just talked with Mike Stubbs, who in the, the OHL may not start till February, around the same time the AHL is projected to start. Like, a lot of people are trying to find ways to stay active in the game. And I've heard so many different theories with trainers because, you know, I mean, you yourself, you work with the men's lacrosse team here at, at Davenport, and I see you all the time. That's how I keep my tabs on you, make sure you're still doing well. But, you know, because... Because everyone knows I'm the one that's in control of Marcus, of course. That's exactly how it works nowadays. But, um, but how, have you, how have you adjusted training? Obviously, for a while, you were working on some of the guys down there at the arena. But how have you had to adjust getting some players ready? Have you had to do, like, you know, I've been hearing virtual workouts or virtual workout plans, like kind of like trying to just keep tabs on people. How have you, been, how have you had to adjust during this pandemic? in order to make sure that the Griffins that are coming back this year, that are for sure, to make sure that they're ready whenever they get the goal call? Well, it was the, the real big thing that was absolutely crazy was in the first part of the lockdown there in March after they shut everything down. Because um, everything was shut. Guys had nowhere to go. I mean, that was the big challenge. And not everybody has equipment in their house. So the big challenge for that first month, month and a half or two months when things were locked down was just getting things for the guys to do that involved minimal to no equipment. That, that was a big brain buster because, again, I mean, let's think about it. You've got, you've got some professional athletes that are some highly tuned machines, and it's hard to, to keep that machine tuned if all you have is an adjustable wrench, you know. You have to go in there and, and, and fine-tune some parts on the, on the motor, and you got an adjustable wrench. It's not always a good fix-all. So that was one of the big challenges, just trying to find some things to do with guys to keep them entertained in their house or, or to keep them trying to progress forward in their house well, you know, we're not really going to go for it. The thing is just, can we keep them active? Then once things started opening back up and we all started to, to get out and move again, the big thing that we had going on this year was, um, you know, this last season that we just concluded was finally my first full-time season with the Griffins. And with um, Mr. Eiserman coming back into us, Steve, they made a big commitment to the developmental level down here. So one of the things that we worked on doing this summer or, or with our off time was uh, – got the list of all of our guys who their summer strength coach is and just reached out to that guy to talk to whoever, whoever they were training with. 
hey, man, this is Marcus in Grand Rapids. Not trying to tell you how to do your job, but, you know, here's a couple things that we would like you to work on with this guy. Da, 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 da. And as soon as I have information to give you about a timeline or whatever we have going on, I will share that information with you. And that's that's kind of what we've done a lot of this year is just talking with whoever the guys have been working with to kind of bring them in. Because the bottom line is no matter who those guys are with in their offseason, we all want the same thing. We want that guy, we want that athlete to be the best that they can be on the field, right, on, on the, in the course of competition. You know, if that guy looks great on the ice, their summer guy, their, their off-season guy looks great because he can say, hey, I trained so-and-so. He's doing great this year in the season. You know, the guys are staying healthy on the ice, and I'm getting, hey, Mark, you know, or better yet, not even getting anything. As long as people aren't saying nothing to me, odds are I'm doing a good job, right? If you get one of those, we got to talk, that's usually like, uh-oh, <laughs> Someone clearly has not been able to compete in the bag skate at the end of practice. Yeah, right. So, so that's that's been a big thing is just is just reaching out and talking to guys. Um, we had a crud ton of guys um, over in the Detroit area. A lot of those guys are gonna be rushing the Red Wings. They were training in a barber center over in Detroit. So, yeah. at, you know, things opened back up. So I started taking a trip over there once a week just to go work with guys and to hang out and to work. Uh, a week ago, yesterday. I drove over to uh, wherever we wherever they were in Michigan to go visit Tyler Spezia and his strength coach yep. just to say, hey, and just see what's going on. So whenever I hung out with those guys for hang out with them for a training session, you know, again, the same thing. I'm not telling that guy how to do his job. This guy, you know, again, we gave him some parameters. Here's some things that we need from him. He had a couple of observations. Hey, here's what I'm seeing. What do you think? To which I'm like, you know, hey, again, beautiful, man. If you have the capabilities to do that, do that. Because, again, we're all on team speeds. What does it take to get this guy better is what we want to do. So you know, I get around trying to visit a few guys as well. Yeah, that that's that's a real, real good point, Marcus. Because you, because not everyone like stays in town. I mean, shoot, half the guys when I'd skate here in Grand Rapids, I believe there was like the first year, like when Hogan would skate and Marty Furk would skate. You remember those guys, of course. Yeah, because they lived here during the summer. Well, yeah, they, they stayed here one summer. Furk stayed here, and Hogan was married and had a family. I mean, he was yeah. Plus, he was getting a house built in Oak, in Oak back there in uh, Nebraska. <laughs> Nebraska, oh, Nebraska, Omaha. Anyway, Omaha. I guess I played, played for the for, former Maverick that Hogan is. But but you see those guys, and, I mean, those guys will stay around. But, shoot, every year after that, it was you know, we had Chad Billens. He lived here. He you know, played for Ferris State up the road. And, of course, Chris Summers now lives here in Grand Rapids with his wife, and I think they have a kid now, or two kids, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. It's, it's been so long, but – Regardless, you know, they, you know, those are the guys like, it's not like the Griffins all stay here for the summer. You have to make sure that, you know, the guys that go back overseas, you know, make sure they're still doing well. And the guys that go, you know, either New York, back up to Canada, down South, wherever they go, that they're ready. And that in itself, that's what people think. Oh, a strength and condition coach. It's the guy that shows up in the weight room, yells at the guys to lift heavier weights. There is much more behind the scenes, Marcus, that I'm sure you can agree with that you have to do as the strength and conditioning coach of the Griffins. It's not just, all right, let's make sure, let's see if we can hit 220 today, guys, on, you know, whatever, on the on doing 20 cleans or something like that. You know, it's, all right, are we doing this off the ice? Like, almost holding these guys accountable, you know, when they're off the ice and when they're out of the arena. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what's going on. And now the programs have gotten so individualized as, as we've made this commitment to work on developing our guys down here, knowing that, to return to return our parent organization to its days of glory again, it's going to take an investment down here to get all this going on, on, on the right track. And someone else I have to tip my hat to, I, I firmly believe made all this happen, was our director of uh, development, was John Horkoff. Yep. You know, as soon as Steve got back, I'm sure Hork was he was right 
He was writing Steve's ear going, hey, we need to make a commitment down here to help build this up to get these guys going back. So, so Cup is, he, Cork has been huge in that, and he's always right there in the middle with us, especially with our guys over in Europe. He'll, he'll get back over to Europe and deal with those guys and talk with those guys. So he has a lot of connections as well. So, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm, a lot of this, I'm sure, is being done through, uh, through, his, through his direction and with his help. So much appreciated to that guy. He, he grabbed that bull by the horns and made some stuff happen for all of us. Because that's why it's so interesting. You talk about a guy like Mike Knubel and Sean Horkoff helping you out. Those are guys that are so interested because Knubel's still Knubel's still with the Griffins, right? He's still an yes. assistant coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those guys literally played in two vastly different eras. Knubel came up through Michigan, <laughs> played with Detroit for a couple of years in the late, you know, mid to late nineties when you know strength and conditioning was you know more or less a very it was non-existent. Exactly. You know, and that's why I love, and there's, of course, Gary Roberts up in Toronto. He used to tell the story how he couldn't do 10 push-ups if he went back and he played in Calgary back in the 90s because he didn't have to. You know, you go to a game, you have a couple beers on the bus on the way to the next town or the way home or whatever, and there you go. That's Then you play the next game. I mean, and that's why Horkoff, he sees that too because he played on the Oilers and played in Dallas later on in his career. He saw what it was like going from 90s hockey where it was just – all right, we'll lift a little bit in the summer. We won't like where they didn't even skate and be, you know, the season ended and they wouldn't skate until training camp. And now he sees like, Hey, we got to do a lot more, you know, nowadays because the game's getting faster. It's getting stronger. And one thing we're going to, I'm going to go back to here, Mark, is you talked about how it's so individualized. Now the training to get each individual to their own peak, to what their body can do and what they need to do. How hard is that for you? Especially while, you know, the AHL has, you know, you have your select guys that stay around a lot. Of course, Joe Hicketts has been around for a few years. Matthew Ford here has been here for a long time. There's been guys that stick around for a while, but there's so much back and forth. And if, I mean, heck, look at Philip Zadina. I make the joke all the time that that guy's travel miles probably is through the roof. He probably has a free flight to Hawaii. That's how much he travels. Like the transition between players, I'm not saying it's a revolving door, but you have to try to work out with these guys and train these guys as they're going from Detroit to Grand Rapids to Toledo to the Grand Rapids to Toledo to Detroit. I mean, how can you, how do you manage that? Or what is your strategy to manage that to make sure that these guys stay on their program, even though they're not in Grand Rapids or if they're in Detroit, they have a program there and it comes back down to Grand Rapids. How does that work? Well, last year as well, and in, in all the reorganization, we, uh, we got a new strength coach over in Detroit, Rob Campbell. And um, so, so he and I work closely together. And it, and it helped tremendously with the upgrades in our facilities now in Van Andel. So now we actually have some of the equipment that they have in Detroit. So the programs don't change too, too much. So again, it's, it's one collective assessment where he and I kind of get together and stuff and look at things and just kind of mesh the programs a little bit, knowing you'll have an idea, you know, who the first call up shoes are as the season kind of goes along with who they're looking at. So yeah. we've just been, we've just been better. We've just been more able to, mesh our things together with our upgrading facilities in Van Andel. So now it kind of can kind of mirror a lot more what they're doing in Detroit. And again, when we do an overall start to do a better assessment of some guys and looking at things so that we can work on arriving to the same, we now have the same conclusion, but then work on getting all the equation in the middle part kind of, kind of similar as possible to help move them along. So that, that, that's been a huge piece of it as well is getting a, a, an individual, get a good counterpart in Detroit. Who, um, who understands a lot of things that I can work with. That, that's been huge. Because that's one of the benefits of, 
of the Detroit Red Wings and the Grand Rapids Griffins being their affiliates. Only a couple hours away. Some people yeah. are like, oh, I got to drive across state. Okay, listen. I lived in rural Ontario, where half an hour there is like a five-minute drive here. Two and a half hours to Detroit's nothing for me. Detroit traffic, that's one thing, but I digress. But I you almost wonder, Marcus, how it would be different because there's so many other teams in the NHL have AHL affiliates that are nowhere near them. I mean, she was Vancouver, Utica, Stock, Stockton, Calgary, Bakersfield, Edmonton. I mean, it's it's crazy, and it's almost beneficial to have a team closer, not just because of, oh, we need to call this guy quickly up. Let's, you know, get him on – just go get him a taxi and have him drive across town. This is, you know – now being able to make sure, hey, you know, we're working out with this kid. Let's make, you know, make sure when you go to Grand Rapids, you know, make sure he tells you this. And you guys are communicating well and forth. Like that in itself is so important because especially being at the AHL level, trying to develop these players to become NHL ready. That is, it's almost the, another aspect of having the beneficiary of having your own AHL team within your own state. Right. And there's, there's two things like that. Up, You know, again, being on the league for a little while, especially when we do our prospect tournament up in Traverse City. So I've, I've met a few of my counterparts at other teams. So one of the guys I struck up a good friendship with, he is now, he's with the Vegas organization. So his last season, he was in Chicago. Prior to that, he was working in the Blue Jackets organization. So uh, it was the same thing he would talk about, you know, being in, that was part of Columbus's deal with Springfield. You know, how did they get guys from, Col- from Springfield, Massachusetts to Columbus? And they had to worry about, you know, again, they had to look at, at, at timing up flights. My God, can we get this guy to the airport in time? Like you're saying, it was absolutely crazy. So I would just shake my head with those guys. So I always felt that we were fortunate and blessed in Detroit to have this situation where, again, they call your number, you're two hours away, you hop in your car and go. Or, heck, even our last game of the season, um, Dennis Chalosky got sick and was, was, was a scratch that day in our last game. And um, we needed a D-man. And um, our coaches called down to Toledo and they had a guy, Tori Dello. They got him on the phone. Hey, Dello, we need you in Grand Rapids like an hour ago. <laughs> so he's in his car from Toledo. <laughs> Trying oh, to get man. here. You know, again, if, if we're another organization, like you said, the Utica-Vancouver deal, if that was Vancouver and they had somebody from Utica, man, they were, they were going to be in a bad situation. So that, that's been very much a big bonus for us here along those lines. Yeah. And we'll see how everything else goes. Like I said, I'm – I had, you know, it, it seems like it, it's been good talking with the other with the other coaches, um, our other guys, summer strength coaches, other off season coaches, and sometimes I even hate calling it the off season because the off season is really your championship season. That's where a guy's going to make or break himself. What he does when we're not competing, that's his championship season. So again, as um, this is our first year reaching out to those guys, like I said, the guy I worked with this with Speech's coach. He loved it. I mean, he was just like, oh, it feels so great. I, you know, I've, I've wanted this forever to, to, to feel like guys are. So some of the guys I've called and talked to, they seem kind of like, well, you know, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Again, it's, hey, I'm not stepping on your toes. I want to tell you how to do your job. But here's a couple of things that we'd like you to just focus on with that guy. You're the professional, man. Just get that done for us. So when, once, we, once we ever get our guys back, we'll see how that went with some people. And, I'll, you know, I'll reach back and follow up with all those guys again. I just want people to understand that we're, we're all on that guy's team. And the better that we all work together for him, the better he is going to be. And then the better we all look. That's, that's what it's about is making sure our product is for that guy that we're trying to serve. Exactly. And I guess that is a, the big thing. You talk about the championship season. That is, I guess I can say that's when the strength, you know, really pays off is when they get, they come back to camp. Few pounds, a little bit heavier, a little bit, I mean, in a good way, stronger. Yes. You know, back in the 80s, if you're a few pounds heavier, shoot. 
I, I, I remember I remember seeing old videos of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the old war. I call it the old wartime videos because it looked like it came out of you know the 1940s. They'd be running around outside Maple Leaf Gardens out or out somewhere in Scarborough, running in the grass full gear because hey, you got to get under 190 pounds. It wasn't you know oh you got to be able to do 100 push-ups. It's no, nope, you just got to be at weight shape. I mean, yeah. it's, it obviously there is a defined line between overweight and being muscular. But is, I guess, you know, just a kind of a random thought here, Marcus, is weight a thing nowadays that you judge as a strength coach? Like, and I'm talking, like, obviously you can tell if a kid's out of shape, if he's finishing last conditioning drills, but like, is there like a bar? Hey, you need to be at 195 come camp or you need to be 190. Like, is that still a mindset for strength and conditioning coaches? Or is it, you know, I don't care what weight you come in at, as long as you're able to skate fast and hit and shoot. And yeah, and I don't think I don't think that that's much of an issue so much with the weight thing anymore because again, we talk about the individual variances for people. Some guys play better at a heavier weight, and some guys do not. So that's relative to the individual. But also, again, thing too is you know, I know sometimes people freak out about their their championship seasons or their off seasons as well. I don't want to get too big. Well, here, here here's the deal on that. You know, again, your body's not going to build muscle at an exponential rate, right? You're not going to lift weights if you've been if you've been a trained individual. You're not going to lift weights for a month and all of a sudden you're going to be 15 pounds heavier. If you put on 15 pounds in a month, you got fat. So for the body to build muscle, it's a slow process. And the big piece of that, one of those things that's so great about the research that has shown, that is as long as an individual keeps moving as you slowly but surely put on that weight, you really shouldn't see much drop off. It goes back to that old, um, the old legend in Greek mythology about the guy who, who wanted to carry a cow or a bull. So to start doing that, he started carrying that cat, that same bull, as a calf every day. He would put it on his shoulders. So as the as the calf or the bull grew, his body adapted to that thing day by day. So it's that same situation. As long as you keep moving all year long, it shouldn't be such an issue. And again, this is such a high caloric demand sport, except for, you know, I don't even say goalies. So it's, it's a high caloric demand sport. So again, you burn a lot of energy. Um, where weight really, where weight really is, is, is relative. What we're looking at is, is looking for big fluctuations and drops. Because again, like in your instance, as a goalie, and we know from our goalies, it's not a common. It wasn't a common for you. It was like ten pounds in a game. I could imagine. I mean, oh. you just, you just yeah, you just, yeah, you just sweat it out. So the big thing that we're worried about, if we're looking at weight, is how much of a drop did that guy have, and is he hydrated? Is he doing the things that he needs to recover? So I think the big thing that we kind of watch right now is big fluctuations in the droppages of weight because if someone's dropping big pounds time after time after time, then it's a matter of time before the performance starts to break down, the body starts to break. So that's the biggest thing I think right now that we're looking for is weight. Are there massive fluctuations? Now, in a 24-hour period of time, your body weight will fluctuate five pounds depending on intake and outtake. Depending on what you put in and what you expel. You had a five-pound fluctuation within 24-hour periods. So, again, it's one of those that you have to look at that progression week by week and see if that guy's dropping off. That's the biggest thing, I think, right now with weight is you, you just want to watch and make sure no one's having any big, super-duper drops in weight. But one thing that I really do feel fortunate about with these guys, it didn't take long to figure out once I started working with hockey players, more so than I think in a lot of other sports, and I'm sure that's changed over the years, but I was impressed right from Jump Street in 2012 and 13 how much these guys knew about their bodies and taking care of their bodies 
and eating properly and eating good and recovery strategies. That made my job a whole heck of a lot easier. And it's also one of those things, again, in our system that we have. Lisa McDowell is our nutritionist in Detroit. And, of course, she helps the guys down here in the AHL. She is fantastic at her job. So that's another one, too, if we're having issues with somebody either too heavy, too light, or whatever. Hey, we get with Lisa. Boom. Here's a plan. Follow the plan. Boom, boom, boom. Off we go. Because that's, that's one thing, too, that I learned training with you is, you know, because when I was in high school, I'd go to the gym after school or sometimes before school, and, you know, I'd do my lifts, my squats, whatever, and I would just go back, you know, go on my day. No post-workout. I mean, my, we did some warm-ups, obviously, cause, you know, to make sure you didn't pull a muscle, but stretching afterwards, doing some plyometrics afterwards to, you know, make sure you get the lactic acid out, that was never a thing. It never, nope. never came across my mind. I learned that a lot with you and my training as I went on through my career. And it's so important because, because that's, you, you talk about injury prevention. You've talked about that a little bit off the top, you know, trying to make sure you maintain yourself, keeping up with that. And I think once I learned that, it helped make me a better goaltender. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder now, because we saw a little bit of it with the, when the NHL going in the bubble in the playoffs last year, Marcus. Some players were just, you know, just not showing up, like unfit to play. Now, whether that was... You know, and obviously it all pertained to injuries because there were no positive COVID tests. And it was players like just leaving the lineup. Big names too. Sagan being out for the stars, Bishop being out for the stars. Guys that just seem to have poor injury prevent poor injury prevention. How are you approaching this season? Right now, February start date. How are you going into that? Because obviously it doesn't sound like with the restrictions, travel restrictions and not, these players may not be coming back until mid-January around the time the NHL is supposedly going to start. I mean, you're going to have to go from zero to 60 once you're like that, and then you're in the season. How are you trying to approach that as a trainer to make sure these guys are, A, ready to play? It may obviously a shortened schedule, looking like only like 40 games right now, but being ready to play, but make sure they don't hurt themselves when they go right on the ice because us hockey players, we're a little off. We'll see. We'll step on the ice. We're not, we're, we don't care about, you know, oh, man, I may not be ready for this yet. We're, we're at 100%. It doesn't matter if we're... If we've been off the ice for 10 months or off the ice for two days, we're going 100% no matter what. How are you approaching that to make sure that the Griffins, when they're ready to go when the season starts up, that they are able to make it through the season in one piece? Uh, well, first off, I'm laughing because it's not just only hockey players that are a little bit off. Let me tell you, uh, most of the athletes I've seen at a pretty high level, they're all pretty off in a different way. But I, the biggest thing in, in that piece that you're talking about is just, number one, staying in touch with the other strength coaches and talking through them and letting them know timelines as we get them. Um, I, the guys understand what's coming on, and, and everybody's ready to go back to work, and all those guys are working. They're all skating. They're all getting gym time. You know, they're all playing some pickup games, from what I understand. You know, some guys are playing some pickup games with other professionals, wherever they are. I think the, what I feel, what I'm hoping, and I'm, and I'm really hoping that I'm right, is we still have to have the camp that we usually have. We usually have like, what, a, a two-week period of camp, and there's a few exhibition games that lead into it because that, that helps that ramp-up process. If you look back at the beginning part of the NFL season this year, they had no ex, they had no preseason games. They had no exhibitions. They had a couple of inter-squad scrimmages, and they started playing. The first two weeks of NFL season, dudes were dropping like flies. Saquon Barkley. Dude, yeah, dudes were snapping ACLs. All kinds of season-ending injuries happened to those guys in the first month of that schedule. And the only thing that I could put my finger, because, again, it's not like those guys weren't taking their taking care of their business. Like you said, it's not like Shaquan Barkley was just like, I don't know what's going on, I ain't training. I mean, I'm sure he was on his business. 
But they went, like you're talking about, they went from zero to 60 like that. That's the problem. You have to have that little build-in period where you where your body adapts to that intensity that you're asking it to be at all the time. You just can't make that big leap like that. So hopefully, as everybody works through this thing of bringing us all back to a, a season of whatever it may be this year, that we get a few exhibition games where guys can smack into each other and play at game speed to help them adapt and adjust a little bit. If, if that part is missing, then we may have some issues that, I, that I'm going to have to wrap my head around to, to try and figure out what those things may be and, and, and try to head that off at the pass. But I, think that I feel the biggest thing about that is going to be you've got to have an exhibition season of some kind. You have to play some type of preseason games. Because it's the same thing. You're playing against your buddy in a pickup game. I mean, you're not lighting him up like you are when you're trying to win a game. I mean, no. you want to do good for your pickup game, but you also realize that, you know, hey, it's my guy over here. He's got a, he's got something he's getting ready for, too. But, again, you know the deal when the puck drops and, and for real, and there's a winner or loser on the scoreboard. Hey, all bets are off, my man. I got to do what I got to do to win this game, and I'm going to run you if I have to. So I hope yeah. that we get some beat in time so guys, buy, so guys can adapt to it and their bodies can adapt to the, to the stress of competition. Because, again, as you know, competition ain't practice, man. Right. And that's why, I mean, I believe that's why the, the NHL, at least last year, before the playoffs started in the bubble, at least the qualifying rounds in the round robin, they at least played one game against each other. So at least, you know, at least, you know, maybe not their playoff match, but they played one game at least to kind of get the feel for it. And it helped to some extent. Like I said, there were still some players that got hurt. And, and I find that to be so much harder because people don't realize this. As long as the typical NHL preseason is, there isn't a whole lot of preseason for the American Hockey League. And that's mainly because, of course, the a lot of the guys from the AHL that play in the AHL are coming up from those AHL camps. So you, down at the AHL level, you don't have as many preseason games. That may it, change. That may change. Saying, it kind it, it kind of works for us that way because in the past we've always done that combined camp with Detroit, right? Yeah. So a lot of guys, even some of the guys that they already know is going to play most of the year in Grand Rapids, you know, we they still make two teams, right? And if you look at how yeah. the rosters are played out. You know, we're sending two teams, you know, this team played here on one night, but then these group of guys played over here. Now, they may swap a guy on or off a team just to get, uh, and, hey, I need to see some more of this guy. He's on, a, he's, he's on a bubble spot. So even though we don't have much of an A, we don't really have an AHL preseason, our guys got a crud ton of work wearing wing wheels out there and competing in preseason games representing Detroit. So on that aspect of it, I think, I think we've been fortunate enough to, 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 get, to get that along those lines. So that, yeah. that's been good for it's, us. It's, it's great because, and I, there are some guys, I, cause I remember a couple of years I, I skated with uh, Nathan Pache and, and the former captain. He was the captain of the 2017 Calder Cup team. And I remember he looked at me, this was about two days before camp. I'm pretty sure Athena CU had already left to go skate because he was with the prospect team at the time. Yes. And he, he comes up to, in recent locker room and he, you know, we're, we're at the Griff's Ice House doing our summer skate. He just looks around. And he's like, I have to go to Traverse City tomorrow. I don't know what the point of me going up there is. Like, there are some of those guys that are just like, you know, they know they're going to be in Grand Rapids. Pace like, they brought me up there. I'm going to be there for like two days. I'll be in one game. I'll go like minus three and they'll send me home. I don't want to go this weekend. Does anyone else want my spot? All, right. of, us, all of us Davenport kids were like, yeah, we'll take it. Yeah, shoot. Sign me up. Don't pay me so I can keep my college eligibility, but heck, I'll go up there. I, I'm a goaltender. I'll play defense. I don't care. 
Paige was so funny. I remember uh, there's one point in time during that that, that 17, 18 season, 16, 17 season. We won that cup last when he was captain. He was on a bike warming up. And again, as you talked about, you know, Nate, Nate was an older guy, man. He had a lot of hockey miles on that body, had a lot of hockey years. Yep. And I was, I was asking him, I was like, Nate, how much longer are you going to go, man? And he just looked at me and goes, as long as someone's going to keep paying me, I'm going to keep playing. Which, of course, it never really hit me like that. Like, you know, why would I hang up my skates and go into the real world when I can keep wearing skates and playing this game with someone paying me? <laughs> so that was funny. I just got a kick out of that one day. It was, it was, the answer was so obvious, but it never hit me until he said it. Well, shoot, look at, look at I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm going to say it, and somehow this is going to get around to him, but look at Jeff Hogan. I, I still remember, I make the joke, and my brother used to make a, the joke all the time here on the show, the Jeff Hogan slap shot, because about a week before training camp, he comes to Grand Rapids, he steps on the ice, he looks like he had, never, he looks like he had skated all year, stumbling over, grabs a puck, comes down the board slower than molasses, and decides he'd take a slap shot from the blue line. And I square up like an idiot because I'm like, all right, whatever. Let's, let's see what's going to happen here. He takes this thing, and he just – I swear I hear his spine crack as he winds up and just oh, unleashes the shot. Hogan could shoot. That's the thing that people forget. He could shoot the puck as old as he got. But he fires this thing, and this thing goes zooming over my head, went through the netting behind me, hit the wall behind the glass, and bounced away. And I look at Hoagie, and I go – I literally yelled at him. I'm like, Hoagie, what are you doing? Like. 20 years younger Tyler yelling at the veteran Hoagie. He's like, I'm just warming up, just trying to make sure I can still shoot the puck. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just love that. Cause like veterans, like you, like you talk about individual training, veterans and rookies, very different, you know, very, very different. Yes, sir. You, you can't, you can't put Nathan Pace to the ringer like you would. I'm trying to think of a younger guy at the time when he was still there. I mean, you can even say like a Marty Furk coming out of Halifax, coming out of junior hockey, because right. their body can still be formed, still be developed, whereas Pace is like, just get me through the year, man. Right, and, and, and you, you hit on something that, that that's absolutely, absolutely true. You know, some of my, some of my older veterans, like, you know, I can't treat, you don't treat them the same way you treat the prospects. There's not, because again, like you said, that guy's been around, the joke is, he has old man, Hoagie had old man strength. Yeah, Pace dad strength, old, dad strength. Page has old man strength. You know, you know, a young Anthony to see you. Yeah, he's got teenage girl strength. I mean, it's just, you know, and I'm, I'm being facetious and being silly. It's a slight exaggeration. But, yeah, he has that's a lot of our prospects. They have young men bodies. They have late teen, early 20 bodies. Yeah. That's not the same as a guy in his mid-20s, and, it, and it's not. So there's definitely a, a thing of going different. You know, I, I don't um, – the older veterans don't definitely don't lift as hard or as heavy. As, as the younger bucks do. Cause again, it's just not tolerated and it's just not what's needed. You know, right. it's just not, if I need an older guy, usually under some steel, you know, once a week with the, with a good lower body workout and upper body workout, he's going to be fine. You know, hey, maybe once every other week for those guys, for the older guys, they're, they're going to be okay. But the younger bucks constantly need a stimulation for us to develop them. Let me tell you something. Marty Furk was a beast. When he, he still is a beast. Yeah. Furk is a beast. He only did a 115-mile-an-hour slap shot, Marcus. I mean, I think the guy's strong. Man, when we were on our California trip last year, um, um, we caught up with him. He came down from Ontario and grabbed me and our equipment manager, Dog, and our North trainer, Josh. We met him at a restaurant in San Diego for dinner last year when we were on that California road trip. So yeah. that was it was always nice to see him. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if they make people as good as they do Marty Furk. That, that, that's a good man right there. 
good he, person. He was always an interesting one to to skate with because I remember because his rookie year he had just come off the Memorial Cup with playing with Nathan McKinnon, Jonathan Duran, like a very good team in Halifax. And yes. He was and he was so quiet because he was you know pretty much like he was under Hoagie's wing because Hoagie was the only one in town and Marty didn't know anyone else. He spoke very little English even though he lived in the Maritimes and but I, you, he steps on the ice and my thing with Marty was this he has all these skills he can shoot he can skate he can puck handle like none other it just every so often you just see him it just kind of he just didn't have that same hockey sense that's why I always say like he could have been so great and th- that's the thing though when I when last year when he hit that 150 mile an hour slap shot at the AHL All-Star game I literally tweeted out and I said this guy literally domed me at least four times a, a summer skate like that's mm-hmm. terrifying because like and there was a couple people like it explained so much that you got hit in the head by that guy because I remember he would just wind up clappers and I would 18 year old Tyler I'm going to make this save because hey it's an AHL or NHL slap shot I'm going to look good and pow I see it. Well, heck, I remember again that that last Calder Cup game when he had he had the game winning goal. Yep. I remember tracking the puck when that puck was sliding across the ice towards him, and he had that stick pulled back. It was like this is going in. I just remember watching that replay again and again. Syracuse's goalie had no idea the puck just whizzed by his head. Oh, he's man. got his glove up and everything. All of a sudden, the horns going off the lights. He's looking around like what? Is it was phenomenal. He was out. I just I. There were games that I would actually be able to sneak into the upper, sneak down to the lower bowl. And actually, we used to sit, we started sitting behind the net a couple of years ago, my brother and I. And he'd sit there at that left point. And I remember I would be terrified for the goaltender on the power play because I'm just like, I know what's coming. They're going to work it around. And whether it's a wrist shot or a slap shot, this thing is going to go high. It's going to go high and wide. It's going to go in the back of the net or it's going to kill the goaltender. Because Mark, but. He was so like, and because that I guess that's the one thing about his lack of height. He's not the tallest guy in the world. Oh, is the fact that he was able to get this stocky frame of his, and that's what he's taken through his entire career. He was. Let me tell you, he's built, man, boy. That that guy's built like you know the brick house. He's solid, solid. Just just always been a solid guy. So, what other players in your time? Like I said, I mean, you've been around for. It's like I said, this is your eighth season. You're coming up on here. So many different players. I mean, and you and I have talked about some. I, there's a couple that I'd love to ask about, but I don't want to embarrass anyone just because of some of the stories you told me. But there, what are some of the guys that you look back on that you worked out that you saw that just that caught your eye and you're going to be looking at like, man, that guy, that kid is something based on work ethic and willing to try to develop and get better. Because there's some players that think, oh, I'm talented. I have God's gifted talent. I don't need to work out. Don't need to try whatever. There's those guys. But then there I, are some guys that are like, I'm good, but I want to get better. What are some of those guys that you worked well, with? Well, again, fingers crossed, and of course, rooting for the guy. Um, Dennis Chalosky have a great Chalosky story. When um when, when he was when he was a big time prospect after after he was drafted. So when his junior season ended, he had uh, you know they as they always do they brought him up here and he was a black ace with us. Yep. And so um you know they had a day off and I was out and about doing some stuff. My phone goes off. Um. Look, guys, just Dennis. Hey, what's up? What's up, Dennis? He goes, "Hey, I want to get a workout in today." I'm like, "You know, you guys are you guys have an off day today." He was like, "I want to get a workout in today." Okay. So I was at a school. I told him, "I said, hey, I've got to I've got to pull this shift into school because I went there was an off day, so I wasn't scheduled to be with those guys." 
So um, he shows up at the school's weight room. And again, he was that guy. He was real skinny. We had to put size on him. So he had to do a hypertrophy workout. And it was a monster, man. I mean, it was like, you know, three sets of power cleans, a minute and a half in between sets, squats, you know, not, not three minutes, you know, a minute and a half in between sets because I had him on a timer. Yeah. Squats, RDLs, upper presses. I mean, I smashed this kid for two hours. I mean, it was just, it was brutal. And so we're going to this workout, and right toward the end, he looks at Batman and he goes, um, how much longer do I have left in the workout? I, I need to call the Uber to come get me. And I was like, wait a minute. You took an Uber to come here to have me beat the crap out of you. He goes, well, yeah, I don't have a car right now. I was like, well, son, I'll drive you back to the hotel. It's okay. Well, you sure it's back in Grant? If you're going to come here and let me beat on you for two hours, the least I could do is drive you back to your hotel. I don't care if it's in Kalamazoo. So it was one of those things that I, I, I told, um, you know, a manager would ask about people, what do you thought? I said, well, listen, um, the kid's got a great work ethic. He'll, he'll do whatever you ask him to do. You know, talent-wise, I can't tell if he's going to be what you need him to be, but if he doesn't make it where you want him to, it won't be for lack of effort and trying on his part. So it, that, that, that was just one of those things. That, and those are the kind of people that, 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 that I love to spend my time with. I mean, you that, that understand that, that want to give everything that they have to be the best that they can be. Again, like I said, you, you made the jokes about yourself. Hopefully, at the end of the day, what you can say is once you even got on your track to get into women to do some things, it helped your career out. And at the end of the day, you know, did I go as far as I can go with what I was given by God? Did, did, I, did I utilize what I have the best of my ability? If you can say yes and you didn't quite make it the level that you wanted to, but you can say, I gave it everything that I had every day to shoot for that goal. You're going to be okay. You know, the old right. saying, you know, aim for the moon, shoot for the moon. If you miss, at least you land amongst the stars. And then, and that's, again, when I look at as, as a man at the end of the day, no matter what it is, if, if I can honestly answer the question to myself that I did the best that I could, that I could with what I was given for that day. then I think that's all that we can, that's all that we can assess that we can do. So he was one kid that really stuck out of my brain, that story. I mean, he was, he was good. Ferky was another one, man. Ferk was, Ferk was always in the weight room waiting on me when I got there. I mean, it, he was always ready to go. First one in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, Marty Ferk was ready to go. Always ready to go. That, so. that, that's always awesome to see because, I mean, there are some guys that take advantage of the opportunity of playing professional hockey and just like, oh, as long as I can just stay here. But there are those guys that, like, I know, I know there needs to be more. I know there needs to be more. And there was a guy I was trying to think of. Was, I thought I had a name in my head, but I – Somehow it totally slipped when we are talking about Chalosky. But there's just certain guys that are willing to do more. And, oh, no, there was – I remember actually talking about the, the first year you were with the team. Was it um, – oh, gosh. I remember I was training at the facility by myself, of course, and you were with – who was it? Jordan Pearson, Andre Nestersil. The team's in the middle of a playoff run, and you're, okay. working, and you're working at these guys out, and I'm just like – See, these guys don't have, they shouldn't, they don't have to be doing this, but they want to still be ready and they know well, they, they still have to go out. Either that or either that or was one of those at that point in time, they were either, either black aced or, um, or scratches for a game that day was right. what, what, what I would guess. And again, you brought nasty up cause he was still kind of a prospect at that point in time. He may have been on the, he, he probably was a, was a black ace and Pierce was like goalie number four or something. So he was, Practice goalie, I tend to think so. Yeah, because that was when you were asking the column there. They, yeah. they, they, they still worked. I mean, you have work to do. And that's another thing I'm, I'm just going to say now. And I, I threw a couple names out that popped into my head. But again, I think that's one of the bright spots. The messaging of the organization 
And again, I'm, I'm going to put that back on Horkoff. And Dan Cleary's in that role helping Horkoff out with those guys of player development. I think that's the thing now that they've really emphasized with all of our prospects, and they understand that, that we need you to do this work on the ice. This is what we're doing here, and this is what we're doing off the ice. So there's no, there was no pulling teeth. You know, back in the beginning, there were a few guys who's, whose teeth I had to pull, and it, and it was and it was and it was frustrating to get to get that going because it was like, you know, I'm not here trying to punish you or hurt you, dude. I'm really trying to help you to be the best you can be. And it was just like, ah, you know. And, and, and on, on the backside, you know, some of those guys have made it to the league and they're still there, but they're they're mediocre, right? Right. And, and again, I, I can't help but think. Well, if you would have had a little more juice back then, you would carry that juice over now. You might not be mediocre. You may be a guy that people who's speaking of highly all the time. But, you know, but those are some people. Hey, I made it. I'm happy to be here. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I, see, that's, that's why I'm glad I never made it, Marcus, because I knew like my, goal, my legitimate goal was to just make the ECHL and coast on it from there. If we could stay there, that'd be perfect. That was my legit goal because I did I, I wasn't gonna make it to the NHL. And I I, lo- I Marcus, I would hope you would have realized that too. When 135 pound Tyler walks through your door, oh yeah, this guy's not gonna make it. <laughs> but see, but 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 that's but that's the thing too, though. But again, some some of those goals have to be tapered in realism, right? Right. I mean, because at least you had that realization about yourself, like, look, I ain't gonna be an NHL guy, but let's readjust. Hey, maybe I can make it to this level and make a little bit of money playing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that goal either. At, at the end of the day, you can still say, "Hey, I played professional hockey." I mean, right? Right. I, that's so. Again, but again, that's maximizing what you were given. I mean, we we aimed to be the best that we can be, and we we go. You know, if we put the work in, we'll go where we're supposed to go. We'll be where we're supposed to be. But you know, and that's I get kick my dad about that. But that's just one thing about our family. It's always a work ethic family. Work, work, work. I mean, you know, you ask for an opportunity. That was from my grandfather. Honest days work for an honest day's pay, right? Yep. Someone right. asking you to do a job, you do it to the best of your ability. You 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 do it. Not only for them, but you do it for you. It's your reputation that's on the line. What do you want your legacy to be? I don't I don't, I don't want people saying, man, he was, you know, he was a nice guy, but man, he was a crappy coach. I'm, I can say, hey, he was he was a pretty decent dude. He was an even better coach. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. I my I know my dad's still watching this right now. He's probably like, I spent all that money and you didn't make squat. I guarantee that's exactly what's going on, but <laughs> but hey, 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 parental love, man. Parental love. That's what we do. I I've got some kids of mine that I've invested into and you know Is that, is that no, what they call no, it? No, 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 no one's at the professional level paying me back, nor will they will be, but you know, they, they can ride their talent out to the best of their ability. And at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, they won't be able to say, you know, I may have been able to do this, Dad, if you would have helped me do it. So at the end of the day, you can't blame me because I worked on giving you everything you needed to go as far as you want to go. It's yep. all on you. That's just a parent thing. Oh, yeah. We'll figure that out one day. Oh, yeah. I'll learn about it. I, I've only, I, my dad still gives me, I paid for my last set of goalie pads and I used them for a whole six months until I realized I wasn't going to make it. We have been chatting with Marcus Kenny. Marcus, it's a darn shame we're running out of time here at the end of the Kula show because this has been fun. Marcus Kenny, the strength and conditioning coordinator for the Grand Rapids Griffins, going on its eighth season. Marcus, I know you love the off season, but I'm pretty sure you're just waiting to get back in the gym with those guys. Hopefully, everybody is, man, because it's like this off season has been going on since, so I don't know what, March, the middle of March. 
Well, hey, it like I, I was telling everyone about top of the show, I did a game with Ferris State with Harrison Watt up there on Saturday. It had been nine months since I've been in a rink. There have been what? children that have been born since I've done a game. So, COVID babies, yeah, they're making their appearance now, aren't they? Yeah, we're all we're all ready. We're all ready to go back to work, man. We all are. So, you know, again, the vaccine's out, and you know, hopefully, uh, this not hopefully the vaccine is out. This thing will start to turn. We'll we'll get through the winter. People keep wearing their masks and keeping their distancing and washing their hands and doing the things that we're advised to do by the CDC. And we work on doing that, and it'll it'll eventually it'll eventually turn. We'll, Amen, we'll Marcus. A- Amen to that. We will see you all on next Monday. Hopefully we have Alex in here. Marcus Kinney, once again, thank you very much, Marcus. Be sure to follow Griffin's Hockey on the it's Twitter. It's been cool! Marcus, we'll see you next time. Coming up next year on 12 Ounce Sports, guys, the talking Myers with the Rando. He'll be talking about minor league baseball and the NFL. We have to sign off here and give him some freeway. Marcus, bid you adieu, sir. We will see you all next time here on the Cule Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Thank you. Enjoyed it.